Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you're joining us. This is episode 133. We're recording this at about 5.20 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, July 5th, 2021. Happy 4th of July that just passed by and those that get to celebrate it today with a day off of work. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. I have to throw out there, happy birthday, Todd. You get to celebrate along with the yeah. country every year. And, uh, and, and we had quite the party last night. Yeah, there was a tasting. There was, there was a tasting. A tasting. <laughs> yes, yes. And I feel every bit of that 33 years today. <laughs> and we, we had some cornhole, we had some ping pong, and some cool hoop and look, hook game that was uh, that I dominated at. Dominated. Did you watch the cornhole championships on ESPN? You know, we kind of watched, we watched a little bit of it. We didn't watch the whole thing, but we did watch some. And then we were inspired and went and embarrassed ourselves in the backyard. How did, uh, how'd the ping pong go? Uh, what, how, who dominated that? Yeah. It's me. It, it's, nice. it's Todd. It's Todd. Then, then, then Atticus, my son got, got, had to get involved. And so he, he put together a two on two game and, uh, and his, his team name was the crispy llamas. And uh, and he determined that our team name was going to be uh, Roblo's fat cousin Globlo. That that was the name he gave us was Globlo. I added the part about Roblo, but I mean, it's an easy step to take after he named us Globlo. So, yeah, yeah, that was good. That was good. He's five, by the way. <laughs> is that a word, Globlo? Like, what? What is that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. But uh, we, we just kind of went with it. Uh, all right. Uh, who's going to win the NBA Finals? I just got to throw this out there. Game one is tomorrow. Phoenix, baby. All the way. The Valley. Hashtag. I'm saying Suns and Six. I chose the Bucks before the playoffs, and I can't go back on that now. Uh, that's, that's probably smart. I, I think... The funny thing is, I think the Bucks and the Suns have both looked better without their superstar players. Like the Bucks kind of look better with Giannis, and the Suns kind of looked better without CP3 until he scored like 31 in the second half in the deciding game. So, I'm pretty sure I didn't know that Chris Paul was on the Suns until like maybe January. Like, yeah, it was that. I I like the idea. You know, we're we're talking about comebacks today. You know, second acts. And uh, this is a great second act for Chris Paul because I was really worried that the rest of his career would just be in the State Farm commercials. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I made some money off the Suns this week because I, I, I. Oh had yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, need to, we need to hear a, a report about your Vegas trip with your ten dollar bets, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, 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 my low time Epic. play in there. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, my wife and I went to Vegas to celebrate our ten year anniversary this last week. And uh, and had some fun. Stayed at the Luxor, so it was kind of cool staying in the pyramid. 
Uh, and yeah, I make I make like five ten dollar bets. That's about it. So I Todd Todd has determined that I'm an every other kind of kind of day better. Apparently, so I bet the first day on the Suns. I think it was the first day. Yeah, I bet on this. No, I bet on the Clippers. I bet on the Clippers to win and and hit that bet. And then uh, that was game five. That was game five. And then the next day, I bet on. I bet on the Bucks in the game that Giannis got hurt, and I did a three-way parlay of some baseball and only hit one part of it. And then I also had to put a bet on my World Series prediction from the beginning of the year. It's kind of a long shot now, but the St. Louis Cardinals were my World Series pick. They're they're hovering right around five hundred right now, but they were plus four thousand. So it's like, well, that's worth at least putting some money down on. So uh, so I did. And then, uh, then day three, I, uh, I bet I parlayed, uh, a Mariners win with a Suns win in game six. And I hit it, took the Mariners into extra innings to do it, but they won. Yeah. And you texted me about that. And I said, I would have bet the Clippers. So you, uh, you beat me at that. I just, you know, for all of America needs to hear that the best strategy is to go to Vegas and bet on first half lines, or should I not say that? That's like, you know, that's a that's tell all expose. But Todd and I racked up some serious, serious money on our 2018 trip with just first half lines of college basketball games. And it's beautiful because you don't have to watch the whole freaking game. That's the best part. That's true. It's true. Appar- I, I just apparently had a had a good read on what was going on in the Western Conference Finals and had no idea what was going to happen in the Eastern. Because I would I would have put my money on the on the Hawks in game six. And then the the Bucks dominated and, and made what, it to the finals. So. What did the wife think of you? Uh, you know, sk- skirting off to uh, sports books was it like uh, you know Vegas vacation when when uh, you know Chevy Chase walks into the you know blackjack table and no one knows where he's going? She was perfectly okay with it. She said, "Okay, you go you go sit in your sports book. I'll go play some slots." In a half hour, she turned twenty dollars into one hundred twenty dollars at the slot machine. So. Uh, so she was content where she was. I was content where I was and, uh, we were good to go. Yeah. See, that's the difference. You know, if I were to bring my wife to Vegas, it would be Wolfgang puck and, uh, yeah, every single dinner. And if, and if you, uh, if you go, if you try to escape, uh, your balls will be ripped off. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I, it, it, interesting going to Vegas with a woman. I've never experienced that before, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad you survived and I'm glad it was even profitable. Yeah, we did hit a, a bunch of restaurants. I will say we we ate at a different restaurant every every meal, and it was all good food. It was all expensive food, but it was yeah, all good. See, food. When Todd and I are there, we, our our number one rule is that food is a waste of money, right? I mean, yeah. it's just yeah, I, that's money that you should be spending gambling, and food is or unnecessary. Or now, of course, that's the only other excuse. <laughs> Del Taco all the way, like every yeah. I, twice a day. Del Taco, exactly. See, my wife has enough food allergies that we literally couldn't do fast food because there's always something in everything that she's allergic to. So, um, yeah. So we had to eat at restaurants. But we found some good ones. We ate at basically every restaurant in the Luxor, and all of them were awesome. Some pretty sweet chicken and waffles I got at the Pyramid Cafe. Nice. Yep. Jealous, man. Hey, we should have crashed it. I I invited you to, and you said no. Remember, I had to work. I have summer <laughs> school, man. 
Uh, well, we'll have to do another another trip sometime soon. Uh, my wife d- determined that the next time the three of us go and do a trip, that uh, we're going to record another podcast there, and we're going to do a power rankings of the most comfortable seats in sports books Ooh. on the strip. Ooh, that's a good one. Isn't that a good one? Well, we could just do the power rankings of sports books, period. Although the obvious, we'd all we would all agree on number one, of course. But I mean, yes, I like that. I like the idea of a power rank, or maybe just like best spots to people watch, because that's that's a solid list as well. The the new one in Resorts World might might rival the win. Okay, I might. I just have to throw that out there. It's it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you are subscribing, rating, reviewing uh, all over the place where we have our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, other podcast networks you can find us. Make sure you find us on YouTube as well and uh, and subscribe there and hit the hit the like button or no. Yeah, I think so. The thumbs up and uh I always tell Adam, I have no idea what actually is going on on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. But you can check out Daily Notes. Uh, he, there's been uh, there's a few recent ones there. And also check out the Almost Sideshow, where Adam and I are deep diving Band of Brothers episode by episode. That has gotten uh, quite a bit of hits so far, which is pretty awesome. So, you're looking for episodes three and four to come out this week. All right. Zach, what are you drinking? I'm having out of... Fabulous LFK and Ad Astra Amber Ale. Uh, pretty good, delicious stuff. Shout out to LFK. Number one in my heart. Very nice. Very nice. Todd? Uh, well, uh, as you know, Terry, I was gifted some Ridge Walker Brewing. Yeah, you so were. I'm, I'm drinking the surprise motherfucker. <laughs> With the Dexter logo and everything. Yes, so yes. It's very, it's very tasty and very tangy. Oh, dokes. Yeah, that that's a that's a a cranberry grapefruit sour. And it is sour. Yeah. And uh, I have a Ridgewalker beer as well. This is called uh, Beauty and the Bees. It's their brand new uh, honey infused lager. So. Pretty good. It looks like honey. It, It does look like honey. It looks like a giant glass of honey, but it tastes like beer which is good. All right. So we have a fun episode for you today. Uh, we have, we're going to be looking at the year so far and, uh, and kind of evaluating what we've watched so far this year. And then we have a deep dive of an all time classic, uh, that, uh, I'm really excited about as well. But before we get to all of that, we have to talk about what we've been watching this week. All right, we will start with me. So, uh, for my anniversary watch, uh, we uh, I went back twenty years and actually told I told you guys this, so you're not going to be guessing it. I went back twenty years and watched the winner of uh, of the 2001 Oscar for Best Documentary, and that is Murder on a Sunday Morning. Uh, so this, like I said, the winner of Best Documentary, directed by. Uh, Jean Xavier de l'Estrade. I think I'm saying that right. Probably not. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting that a French guy directed a racially charged documentary about a court case in Jacksonville, Florida. But whatever. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not disputing it. 
so yeah, so murder on a Sunday morning is about a 2000 murder case where a tourist was killed outside of a hotel in Jacksonville, Florida and was killed by a black man. And a 15 year old boy was arrested and tried for murder based on two bits of evidence. And that evidence was the husband of the victim positively identified him and that uh, he had a, a signed testimony saying he did it, that depending on who you talk to, was very much coerced out of him. And you, uh, the main character in the case is really the defense attorney who uh, worked to find these cases where uh, uh, there was some social injustice going on and try to defend them and get them off. This was a fascinating movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, that defense attorney's name, let's see here, was Patrick, Patrick McGinnis. That was his yeah. name, yeah. Uh, it, it was a really interesting movie. Uh, fascinating to watch the twists and turns in the case. Uh, I loved listening to uh, to the attorney uh, explain everything. And you get the, the, as the case unfolds, you really see how just ridiculous this this case is and how ridiculous the the um, the evidence against this kid are like the the descriptions of the of the assailant were completely changed as soon as they found somebody you you even have the lead investigator saying under oath on the stand we were looking for a slender black man and we looked across the street and said there's one walking by let's arrest him like they they had him on the stand saying that and i it it was it was just an incredible and appalling case uh and i think this is one where you go back a ways and you watch some of these documentaries from before and a lot of times they feel dated or they feel like uh they, they haven't really aged well they don't really speak to the times like the last year i watched the 2000 winter which was a movie about um Jewish refugees escaping the Holocaust and, and kids finding their way out of, out of um, being captured and put into concentration camps Impe compelling story by the books documentary and not really applicable to what's going on. I feel like murder on a Sunday morning is more applicable now and more relevant now than it was when it came out. And it's a movie that I feel like everyone should watch because if you have any questions about what is going on with systemic racism and anything like that in the country, this is a perfect packaged example of what uh, is being talked about with all of those discussions of how th this, this kid, this 15 year old boy was racially profiled uh, and charged with murder simply because he happened to be walking past a crime scene while the police were there. And I'm giving this is a four star documentary. Uh, it is in my top five of 2001. Uh, it is it is incredibly compelling. And one of the things that actually was another draw for me is this happened in Jacksonville, Florida, and it was the Jacksonville uh, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office was uh, mentioned a lot. There were a lot of uh, detectives and and uh, officers out of the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office that were ha handling this case. And Todd and I have a relative that worked for the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office 
I don't know if she worked during this time, but she worked for a, quite a while and retired in the last few years for the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. And so I, I had that personal connection with it there. I didn't get a chance to talk to her about it. Uh, I didn't know if I necessarily wanted to. I think she worked in some human resources there, which meant that if she did work there, this was probably a very memorable moment in her time working there and a chaotic issue that she probably had to deal with. But um, yeah, so I, there was a personal connection that came with it as well. This is a fascinating movie. Everyone needs to watch it. And the, the sad part is it's really hard to find. Uh, I, I either had to buy the $12 DVD on Amazon or I had to get a free trial to uh, to a streaming service I've never heard of called Topic and watch it there. But after I did that, Todd said it's free on YouTube. Someone uploaded it there. So I, I guess you can check it out there as well. But it was hard for me to find originally. Anyways, incredible movie, incredible story. And uh, yeah, more relevant now than it was 20 years ago, which I think is a really telling part of how how uh, how great of a story this was yeah th this is an extraordinary documentary i've been trying to get you to watch it for a while I'm, I'm glad you finally did i'm glad that you had such a positive reaction to it uh we just celebrated the fourth of july i think i even on our fourth of july episode last year i think i even said this was my watch because i think this is the all-american movie i mean th this is a movie about how as flawed and as racially biased as the criminal justice system is in this country, there are examples of people like this public defender, Patrick McGinnis, who was willing, he's, and he's not even, you know, he's a public defender, he makes nothing really, right? He was willing to defend Benton Butler and his family, and he rips the prosecution apart. And he has this line where he says, you know, I like to take a puff of smoke and, you know, look at the, look at the prosecution. And uh, I'm, I'm going to do to you, I, I, I'm going to do to you what I, I do to my wife. Like he, he just, you know, absolutely rips them apart. He's a badass. And yeah, this movie is about how uh, injustice exists, but there, the, the criminal, the, 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 the criminal justice system and the court system is meant to uh, get rid of those failures and those flaws. And it works in this case. And it's a powerful, um, so moving portrait. I think it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And so the best documentary of 2001. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you saw it, Terry. It's an amazing movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a third from that year that I've watched so far and by far the best one of the, of the three. Todd, I know you've seen this one too. Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of what you guys said. I, I, I have it ranked in my number 12 of 2001, but it, I've only seen it once and it's been a bit, but I, I do remember being really taken by the story. And yeah, I mean, usually, uh, like you said, usually those documentaries don't age too well, but this one I, I could see still holding up exactly really well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. All right. Let's move on to Zach. Zach, give us your Criterion Watch. All right. So this week I watched uh, From Finland. A wonderful Scandinavian country. Uh, Terry had watched some Scandinavian cinema. I watched The Match Factory Girl, directed by Aki Kurismaki, who is a director that I've never fully loved. I've seen a couple of his movies, like Le Havre and The Man Who Wasn't There, I think was the name of it. And I it's like, it's okay. It's kind of droll. It's kind of, you know, a little slow. Uh, but this was actually a really good movie. This is my favorite Kurismaki movie that I've seen. I haven't seen all of his movies, but this one's really good. It stars, uh, let me get the, the cast list up here. It stars uh, an actress who's, I think, in a lot of his movies. Uh, her name is Kati 
old old linen, something like that. We're going to get a lot of Scandinavian accent here, so just get ready. And uh, she plays the titular match factory girl, whose name is Iris. And at the beginning of the movie, she is a helpless romantic. She loves uh, her uh, romance novels, but she lives this very dull and pretty uh, banal life. She lives with her parents. She works at this match factory. And at night, she goes to these dance halls, dreaming that some uh, Romeo will woo her and dance with her. And it just doesn't really happen. Um, she's kind of a little plain looking, a little rough around the edges, but you know she's hopeful and she has a great spirit. Um, the first half of the movie basically shows how everybody in the world around her in Helsinki or wherever they are just just shits on her. You know, she has this terrible experience with this guy at the dance hall. She basically gets impregnated by him. Uh, he uh, is a, a he says terminate the, the the fetus. He's a horrible person. The parents are horrible. Everybody is around her is horrible. And then she starts getting this idea for revenge. And uh, she does some things that uh, really um, kind of put, uh, put sort of a nice perspective on what these people kind of did to her. So I think it's a great kind of companion piece to Promising Young Woman. I thought actually a lot about that movie as I was watching this. This movie is not, I, I think, as flashy or as sensationalistic. It's a lot more low-key and, and droll, like here's Maki's cinema. But uh, it's really good. It's only 70 minutes. It actually feels a little like an episode of the Decalogue. There is some sort of moralizing a little bit to it. Um, it's not like preaching or anything, but it does kind of show how people have, uh, there's comeuppances that are made when you treat other people really badly. There's no extra features in this. This is part of uh, Criterion's um, Eclipse series with uh, Aki Kurismaki. But I really enjoyed this movie. Three and a half stars. And uh, yeah, check it out. It's really cool, short, and uh, easy to get into. And not a lot of dialogue in it. Sort of a universal story. And thoroughly enjoyed it. Have you given a thumbs down to any of your Criterion watches yet? Uh, I think there was a German film that I watched at the beginning that I was the last honor of Katarina Bloom. I was not a huge fan of, but that is okay. why I watched the Criterion because they don't put out bad movies with the exception of Armageddon and uh, pretty much everything else is great. Armageddon has a Criterion. All right, it does. In fact, if you want to see it, it is uh, actually right here. And it is, uh, yeah, one of the few uh, thumbs down uh, Criterion <laughs> movies. Maybe I'll watch this at some point and give a review of it. I'm actually kind of ashamed that I own it. I think I found it for $3 once and just had That's to amazing. indulge. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. Cool. Todd, I think we're nearing the end of the cager. But uh, yeah. but tell us about this entry. Uh, so I watched the uh, movie Dark, which is the recutting of Paul Schrader's the movie Dying of the Light. Ooh. Uh, this one came out in 2017. Uh, yeah, Dying of the Light was sort of like a flop. Uh, he basically had no say in when it was released and like what, what cut it was going to come out. So he was like really pissed off, I guess. And he used like work print DVDs because they wouldn't give him access to the original footage and sound. So he put together like the work print DVDs into making this movie, which is significantly shorter. Uh, it's about a government agent played by Nick Cage and he's suffering from dementia and he thinks he wants to go find this terrorist who tortured him, even though everyone's saying that he already died. Uh, Cage is really awesome in this. Like he gives a really big impassioned speech, almost like networkish in, in the beginning. And um, it's, it, it worked way more effectively than did in the original. And it, it, the movie's a little bloated uh, it, uh, originally dying of the light, but this one, it, it doesn't meander as much and cage is it's just like a lost great cage performance like he's really subtle and he's sort of tortured and he, i think he's kind of fantastic in this movie the the movie is way way more focused and almost no, noirish and how it tells the story this time instead of just being like a a normal you know political thriller thing that cage does a lot 
Um, but Schrader wanted to use a more aggressive editing style, evidently, and you can really tell that he's going for it. He takes a lot of like really weird risks, and it, it kind of plays more like a TV pilot than an actual movie. I don't know how it would have played in the, in the theater if this was the cut that we saw, but I think it kind of works. Um, I think it's like clearly one of the best movies that Schrader directed, and it's it's just more polished than it was before. I mean, originally I had I had Die of the Light number 51 on the cager. This one is number 28. So it, it's actually a thumbs up. I'm giving it three stars. Putting it, putting it in between the Cotton Club and Face Off. Like, at the, and at the end, like, it's like he didn't really have the footage he wanted. So he just, like, crackles the movie out with this, like, really bizarre light show thing. And it's it's almost like a dream. And it, but it kind of fits, like, with the, like, paranoia of the main character, I guess, if, if you think about it like that. But you can only watch it uh, via... Uh, he, he uploaded <laughs> it on a torrent website. And uh, so there's that, or you can go to like UCLA and watch it in their library. But other, it's it's never going to be released on video. Wow, yeah, I know. I I watched Dying of the Light before you did, and then I assigned it to you, thinking it, here's a crappy Nick Cage movie for you to watch because I was not a fan. I know you liked it more than I did, but it's interesting that it, it had this much of an improvement going to the director's cut. Uh, also, one of the one of the rare uh, Anton Yelchin performances too. Yeah. But this movie, it's, I mean, it's only an hour and 15 minutes when the original, I think, was closer to like an hour 45. So he, he really did cut it down a lot. But Oh, wow. So directors cut that shorter. I cannot think of very many of those. Well, he didn't have all the footage that he wanted, but yeah. It's, <laughs> it is pretty weird. And, and he says, like, this is for, like, uh, educational purposes or something. This is not for profit or anything. And that's why he uploaded it for free on some torrent website. Do you think anyone has gone to the UCLA archive and watched it? Yes, probably. Well, although it only has, uh, it, was like, it doesn't have very many votes on IMDb. But like, let's see. Yeah, and maybe has, like someone's writing votes. Has that Nan Verk visited UCLA? Because I know he's a huge Schrader fan. So He probably has. I, I mean, if I lived in the area, I don't, definitely would have done it. Uh, but I, I found some website that had it like some for some reason uploaded. It was like Internet Archives or something, but it, I didn't actually have to download something that might have screwed up my computer. Nice, nice. All right, cool. So that's what we have been watching now. Yes, instead of a a review, instead of a featured review here, we have our year in review so far. We're going to give our, our top five of the year so far and also give our bottom three kind of recapping you on what we've been looking at. Now, this year, uh, first half of the year in review is unlike any other because the first two months of the year were filled with movies that were still eligible for the Oscars that have already happened. So you might hear some titles that uh, that were talked about during that Oscar season that we won't be talking about much after this. Uh, it's just kind of a, it's, it's what it is. So uh, that's, that's COVID for you, but that's uh, what we're going to be doing here. So top five of 2021 so far, uh, let's go to Zach first. Um, and why don't you start with your bottom three? Okay. Uh, number three, <laughs> worst movie of the year, the block Island sound. 
Uh, some shitty movie I watched on Netflix like two hours before our podcast because I was desperate to watch something. I don't even think I ended up talking about it. But uh, yeah, it was really bad. It's about like some kind of sea creature in like New England and there's a family there. They're kind of investigating it and I actually fell asleep. It was really boring. It's terrible. Uh, it explicitly got decent reviews, so I, I checked it out. It, it, it's bad. Blah, blah. Uh, okay, number two worst movie of the year, Nobody. Uh, we've talked about it on this podcast. I thought this movie was trash. Recently, I did see uh, that the, the Blu-ray has already come out of it, which is kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, I thought this movie was terrible. Maybe if I was in a better mood, I would have liked it. And as Terry uh, correctly probably attributed uh, or uh, thought, uh, paying for the ticket, which I think I had to pay $25 for um, at an advanced screening or some kind of special screening was absolutely ridiculous. So it probably put me in the wrong uh, mindset uh, for it. Uh, it's still a bad movie. And the number one worst <laughs> I would be pissed about paying $25 for that ticket. Yeah, it was like a lot of money. <laughs> It was one of those, like, maybe it was like a dine, I think it was a dine-in theater or something like that. It, I got the timing on it. It's a long story, okay? But it was at the it was at the very uh, beginning of my adventure going back to uh, movie theaters. And not not a great not a great uh, second time going to movie theater. Uh, okay, and then uh, post-COVID. And then the number one worst movie of the year, F9, not the Keyboard Command, the, the stupid shitty sequel. Uh, it's awful. And uh, you know, Todd and Terry had some uh, strange admiration for it. I, I don't understand it, but it's, it's pretty terrible. Just avoid it at all costs. Just just watch the YouTube highlights of Ludacris and Tyrese in space. That will give you all the pleasure that Terry got out of it. A couple things. One, I love the memes that have been coming out recently about uh, about Fast and Furious. I, I sent Todd one yesterday where it shows Vin Diesel jumping. It's like, that's not how gravity works. And he says, I don't need gravity. I have family. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, then there's like Vin Diesel in an X-Wing. Use the force. I don't need the force. I have family. And it, oh. it's a great series of memes. I, I appreciate it. And we and also then, watched the Fast and Furious in Spanish. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Last night, Todd, or no, not last night, two nights ago, Todd and I turned on the Fast and Furious in Spanish. It was pretty great. <laughs> nice. Uh, when Le when Letty beats a, beats a guy at Race Wars, she goes, adios, as she hits the NOS button. It was It was pretty great. It was pretty awesome. Um, Honda Civic is Honda Civic in Spanish, by the way. It's good Just to know. In, in case you were wondering. And okay. So, same thing? Yeah, yeah that's, that's the same thing, too. Okay. Okay. So, before we give the five to one, how many movies have you seen so far in, that are 2021 films? I have seen 32 movies. Okay. Okay. So, go ahead. Give us uh, give us five to one now of your top ones. Okay. Or should we or should we do bottoms all, go go through all the bottoms? Yeah, let's ones go through. all the bottoms. Let's do that. Okay. I want to hear all you. All right. Guys. Uh, so let's see here. I'll go next. Uh, my number three worst movie of the year is locked down. Uh, the, the, the first like COVID COVID movie, uh, with Anne Hathaway and Chiwetel Ejiofor who, uh, broke up like two days before the world locked down and then were stuck in the same apartment as a broken up couple. And then they pull off a heist. Yeah. That it's kind of weird. Sounds bad. So uh, that, yeah, that was the like one pass. of the first straight to HBO Max movies. Uh, number two uh, worst. Oh, by the way, I have seen. What was it? I have seen 16 2021 movies so far. So it's not a huge, uh, huge amount. And I've only given three thumbs down. So these are my three thumbs down that we're that we're talking about here. Uh, so lockdown was number three. Number two is F9, the fast saga. Uh, which I, I I I liked, I was entertained by, but it was just too dumb to give a thumbs up to. So that's number two. And my number one worst movie of 2021 so far 
is good. Voyagers. It was a good movie. Come on. Yeah. Voyagers. Uh, it was that. Yeah. It, it was just weird. Voyagers and, over F- F9 any day, man. Uh, so, so yeah, that that's, that's where I'm at. Th- those are my bottom three. Todd. Uh, my, I've seen 48 movies from 2021. Uh, Wait, are you so, serious? It's a 16, 32, 48. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like multiples of three. Okay, perfect. Sorry. I'll shut up. No, not multiples of three. Multiples of 16. Okay, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the math teacher. Okay. Uh... My third worst movie is The Courier, directed by Dominic Cook. Mm-hmm. It's this really dreadfully boring Cold War movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. I kind of hated it. I don't really want to talk about it. Um, number two worst movie is Without Remorse, Stefano Salimo movie, uh, the whatever, with... Uh, Michael B. Jordan. We reviewed it on the podcast and I expressed my displeasure for that movie then and it, it doesn't get any more better in, in age. And uh, my worst movie of the year, the absolute train wreck of a movie, Cherry, directed by the Russo brothers. It, oh, it was, wow. There is a ton of really terrible things that they do with that movie. It's kind of fascinating, but uh, but it's never good. It's uh, it's it's a really, really bad movie. What What's worse? The movie... Or the version of the movie poster that came out that had like a glitch to it, and it had like it you couldn't read the title. Did I you didn't. ever see that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I do vaguely remember it, but yeah, the movie is bad. Okay, <laughs> it's worse than that. Okay. I, I, I like I like your comment. I I don't want to talk about it. I had a bad experience. Yeah. All right. Oh, so just to throw it out there. Adam Daly sent me his list as well. So his bottom three of the year, just to add to the conversation. Number three, Tom and Jerry. Number two, Voyagers. And number one is Infinite, the straight to Paramount Plus movie with Mark Wahlberg. And I think oh. she would tell you for. Did, so, did he buy that service? He must. He must have it. That's person number one that I know that is. Yeah. Has I'm it. impressed that there's two worst movies than Tom and Jerry. Maybe he's a Star Trek fan because I think that's where Picard is. All right. Top five of the year. Zach, go for it. Okay, here we go. Top five of the year so far. Number five. Coming in at number five. Movie I watched recently. Uh, It's on Amazon Prime. It is directed by Emma Seligman. It is called Shiva Baby. And it stars uh, Rachel Senot Senot as uh, Danielle who is a, a woman who at the beginning of the movie is sleeping with some guy who ends up someone that she shouldn't be sleeping with. And uh, after their kind of uh, post-coital activity, she goes to a Shiva and the whole movie takes place at the Shiva. Uh, and it, if it is a uh, who's who of horrible, awkward social exchanges. It is like every cringy moment of the office crammed into one Shiva with some Jewish, I'm not gonna call them stereotypes, but tropes that I think the director exploits very well, but with respect. And uh, I love Rachel Sennett uh, in this role. I think she has perfect uh, comic timing as she reacts, but also does some crazy shit. There's a lot uh, that uh, unfolds in this movie that I think is very ambitious and uh, is a high wire act um, between comedy and just a horribly uncomfortable experience watching it. Really, really awesome movie. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Number five of the year so far. Uh, Number four is a movie that is also an uncomfortable watch, but for a completely different reason. It is from France, and it is called Slalom. 
and it is directed by Charlene Favier. And it is the story of a young girl. She's a teenager. Uh, her name is Liz. She's played by Noe Abita. And she is an aspiring uh, slalom athlete, I guess is what you say, slalomer. Uh, she's on the mountaintops and the Alps, and she's training slalomite. to go to be a slalomite. There we go. Is that real? That's, that's not real. <laughs> that's not real. You're, you're making that up. <laughs> Uh, well, she is training for the Olympics, and uh, her coach is played by Jérémy René, and if you love the Dardenne brothers like I do, you know that he is in a lot of their movies. Anyway, he plays her coach, and uh, he's a pretty hardcore coach, and then he has um, some sexual advances toward her, and basically he starts abusing her. And uh, this is a really powerful, very uncomfortable movie uh, that is a perfect sort of movie in the, in the Me Too movement that kind of shows how this girl is victimized. Um, but you know, she doesn't, it's, it's very, you know, you can't help but think about the Olympic uh, gymnast scandal here in the United States. What is the fine line between abuse and being a, a, a coach that pushes you physically in this movie? Obviously the guy crosses the line and he's horrific, but, uh, it's a really powerful, again, uncomfortable watch. The main actress is, is amazing in it. And, uh, I actually, there's also some really good, uh, athletic, uh, uh, on top of the mountain photography, uh, that almost reminds me of downhill racer, really good movie, a solid, uh, three and a half our movie number three of the year Covatis Aida which we've talked a little bit about on this podcast a movie that was shortlisted for best foreign film I actually think it's a stronger film than another round the winner but it tells the story of a group of um, basically refugees in the midst of the Bosnian war and the main character Aida is sort of an in-between between the refugees and the UN and these different kind of powers that are kind of dictating what's going on and there's a lot of confusion a lot of chaos it's a war movie but it's not really violent uh, but it's a really powerful story about someone who finds himself in a completely uh, un unreal and very um, horrible position that they have to be in it's kind of like Hotel Rwanda Schindler's List a little bit in, in that vibe awesome movie should have won best foreign film in my opinion number two is a movie I just recently watched this weekend it is Quest Love's movie Summer of Soul or How the Revolution Would Could Not Be Televised, When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. This is streaming currently on Hulu. Uh, Quest Love promoted this movie during the Oscars. We kind of made fun of it. Oh boy, it was worth it. I, it's an amazing, amazing documentary. I'm curious if either of you guys have seen it in the last couple of days, but it tell it uh, unearths this footage that has never been seen before that takes place in 1969 at the Harlem Cultural Festival, which was uh, basically the quote unquote Black Woodstock. And you had artists like Gladys Knight and the Pips. You had Nina Simone. You had Mahalia Jackson. You had The Fifth Dimension. You had B.B. King. Some amazing artists. But what Quest Love does is instead of just making this uh, Woodstock kind of retread, he actually adds in uh, interviews. And he talks about how this was a very specific cultural moment for the Black community, but it was also a very kind of interesting crossroads of music. Uh, some of these bands like Sly and the Family Stone drifted more into disco. Other bands uh, like uh, The uh, Temptations were more Motown. Awesome, awesome movie. Loved it. Absolutely tremendous. A great movie. Great 4th of July movie about America. And my number one movie of the year so far, which Todd will say is not a movie, but I say is, is Bo Burnham Inside. It has an IMDb credit, okay? It's like, it's got a great rating on IMDb too, which is 8.8. Uh, uh, and uh, it is Bo Burnham Inside His House <laughs> doing amazing things, writing music, uh, providing social commentary, lampooning the internet and white women's Instagrams everywhere. Uh, the music is so original, but I what I love about it is the DIY kind of film uh, aspect to it, the lighting, the cinematography, uh, and of course, just the the you know the, the the mind that this guy has. It makes you feel kind of bad if you weren't really doing anything the last sixteen months. That this guy was able to be so prolific um, and really speak to our collective fears as a society during the pandemic. 
awesome experience, awesome movie. And uh, if you haven't seen it by now, uh, I don't know what you're doing. You need to watch it. So you didn't watch Holler? Uh, Holler was uh, in the latter half of my list. I liked Holler like you did, but did not love it. And so did you did not qualify Judas and the Black Messiah? Because We're just like... not talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. Can we just not talk about it? <laughs> I mean, I don't we kind of need to. Well, <laughs> and you gave it four stars. I did. I don't know. Could I put number six? We'll put number six. How about that? I mean, you can do sure. whatever you want. But... It's my list. Exactly. It's your list. You can do what you want. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting in especially over the last year and a half uh the there is the lines between what counts as a movie and what haven't and what doesn't have been blurred so much because of how many movies have gone straight to streaming that and are they movies were they supposed to be tv movies what not i don't know so yeah you you having bo burnham inside i, I think is perfectly fine of having it on your list so well, that's one person who thinks so. There you go. All right. I'll go next here. So my top five, number five, is Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, so this was one of the ones that had a lot of run at the Oscars. It, um, it won Best Supporting Actor for Daniel Kaluuya. Got another Supporting Actor nomination for Lakeith Stanfield. An incredible story about Fred Hampton and easily found on HBO Max now. Uh, make sure you check it out if you have not done so yet. It is worth it. Number four, I have Bo Burnham inside uh, for a lot of the stuff that Zach said. I, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't see the masterpiece quite like Zach did in it. Uh, I could see being a film teacher, uh, appreciating and loving this this movie more. Um, and it, it, it might be the most schizophrenic uh, piece of film I've ever seen because he just jumps all over the place and uh, he must have had a blast editing this thing. But uh, that's number four on my list. Number three, I have In the Heights. I liked it more than you guys did. But uh, I, I, it's just so much fun and uh, and joyful. And I'm a huge musical fan to begin with. So uh, when you can find a way to get an adaptation of a musical on and make it have the scope in a in a productive way like this did, uh, it it's definitely worth watching. Uh, number two is Malcolm and Marie. Uh, one that I liked more than you guys did also. This was uh, Zendaya and John David Washington, uh, and that's it. And it was made during um, during COVID, and it's just them as a couple in a house one night and their, their fights and their struggles that they have as a couple. I thought it was a fascinating movie. I thought it was the best work that really either of them had done, and, uh, and it, it's definitely held up for me. And number one is the Mitchells versus the machines uh, Netflix animated film about a family who saves the world from uh, the, when the, uh, when the robots take over and the robots uh, uh, yeah, just take over the world. And it is, it is a blast. It is fun. It is ridiculous. It, uh, it combines a lot of uh, a lot of the animated films that we like over the last few years, like there's a little bit of uh, spider verse in there and there's a little bit of some of the Pixar stuff that's been going on and it mashes it all together in this crazy chaotic uh, world. And it is just so much fun and a joy to watch. And that is my number one. 
I don't think either of you have seen Mitchells versus the Machines yet, have you? No. Uh, totally worth it. Totally worth it. I haven't seen either of your number ones. <laughs> All right, Todd. Uh, my number five is The Dig, which is directed by Simon oh, Stone. I wanted to watch that one. It's the other Carrie Mulligan movie. Yeah. And um, yeah, she plays an uh, she plays this lady who hires Ray Fine's character, who's an archaeologist, to like investigate something on her property, and they find this like giant ship from the Dark Ages. It's just a really good movie, and I don't understand why nobody really saw it or didn't get any love other than the BAFTAs. Like, uh, it should have gotten a handful of technical nominations. It's on Netflix. Uh, my number four is Night of the Kings, directed by F- Felipe Lacote, uh, which is a is a foreign film from the Ivory Coast, which I think should have been nominated at the Oscars. It's about a young man who goes to prison and he is designated as the storyteller. And so he has to tell a story every night. And if he stops telling the story, then he gets killed. But he is just like this really great storyteller and he sort of inspires everyone. They start like acting out stuff and is, uh, and helping him out with his story. It's a, it's a really cool movie and it's super intense. It's on Hulu. Um, the number three is Nobody, which is the obviously masterpiece action movie. Uh, <laughs> Hutch Mansell, which is a great name. Uh, you know, he shows he's got a history of violence when he has people break into his house, and uh, it's a blast to watch. It's got some of the coolest action scenes in years, and Bob Cook is just a beast. And then when Christopher Lloyd and Riza show up, it's just it's amazing. Just, it's not... just for just for reference, I have it number ten in the bottom half of your year. I mean, yeah, but. Yeah. yeah. Number two is The World to Come, directed by Mona Fassbold. Um, it's uh, it sort of has a portrait of a lady on fire type of story, but I think it's a lot better than that movie. It's it takes place in upstate New York in the 1800s, and it's just like devastating romance. It's got Casey Affleck, Catherine Waterston, Vanessa Kirby, and Christopher Abbott. They're like two couples who are living in this like really difficult terrain. I have no idea. I, it, that place like looks different than any other setting <laughs> of any movie ever. But um, and then like Kirby and Waterston have this like torrid affair, and um, Fastfold is every bit as good a director as her partner Brady Corbett. It's a, it's a beautiful movie and one of the definitely one of those memorable things I watched this year. I I got it. Uh, it was part of the Sundance, and that's how I watched it. But now it's on Hulu. And number one is Quavadas Aida, which uh, Zach talked about. It yeah, it's just tense and brutal and devastating. It's it's a little like Hotel Rwanda, but more specific and more bleak. And it's yeah, it's an experience. And yeah, I think it arguably should have beaten another round. Mm-hmm. It's uh, which, and that's available on Hulu as well. All right, all right. I need to watch Quavada Saidi. I know I need to watch that one. I've been wanting to watch it for a while, just haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. Adam's top five. Let me throw this out there. Number five is one I've really wanted to watch. Haven't gotten to yet. Writers of Justice with Mods Mickelson. Uh, Number four is Nine Days, which I think is getting a wide release sometime this summer. Number three is Bo Burnham Inside. Number two, The Killing of Two Lovers. Yeah, that was on my top ten list. That was like my number seven or eight. That's a a good movie, though. We're checking out for sure. And number one... Number one is New Order. What the hell is New Order? I don't even know. Let me look this up. You know, I think Adam just likes to kind of throw in like stuff that he knows no one has seen. Like, you know, putting another round on when when no one had seen it. His number one film. It sounds like someone else I know. Um, 
Uh, a lavish high society wedding unexpectedly turns into a class struggle that leads to a violent coup. Di- written and directed by Michel Franco. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Interesting. And can it's I say, in Spanish and can English. Can I say one more thing about Covatus Aida? Is that, like, I, th- I had a little bit of resistance going into the movie because I thought, oh, I don't know that much about the Bosnian conflict. Like, I vaguely remember that war. You really don't need to know anything about it. Like, the movie educates you about it, but in a way, it's almost a universal story. It's not so much about the specificity of, you know, these cultures or subcultures in Eastern Europe. Uh, it's a really kind of universal story that um, is much more about family and about this community that is in utter turmoil. And uh, I, I applaud Todd for naming it as number one. I, it's, it's a really awesome, awesome movie. I should have watched it the week I watched No Man's Land. Because that was also about the Bosnian conflict. So just go for a theme there. All right. So those are our top fives of the year so far. If you haven't seen any of them yet, go find them. Uh, A lot of them are streaming now uh, or have been streaming the whole time. Uh, Hopefully we just gave you a watch list of what you can go see and get some good films uh, viewed from the first half of the year. Some of them we might be talking about. Probably none of them will be talking about come Oscar time, but I think a lot of them will, we will be talking about when we start talking about the, our top 10 and best of the year at the end of this year. All right. It's now time for a deep dive. And this was my choice and it was 4th of July weekend. I don't know why 4th of July weekend. It was my choice, not Todd's that should have just diverted to him immediately, but it was my choice. And I looked for a film that was about as American of a story as you could get. That was one that I wanted to deep dive this year, celebrating an anniversary. And how much more American of a story do you get than rock? You know, I've been coming in for six years. Six years you've been sticking it to me. I want to know how come. You want to know? I want to know how. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Because you had the talent to become a good fighter. And instead of that, you became a leg breaker. Some cheap, second-rate loan shark. It's a living? It's a waste of life. I figure if I break the guy's thumb, he gets laid off, right? He can't make Yeah, well, don't money. figure. Let me do the figure, okay, Rock? From here on, just let me do the figure. Come on! Wanna hear me? Come on! I'll break both your arms so they don't work for you. Fifty bucks. You and your girl Adrian, you have a nice time, eh? Thanks. Rock. What? Remember what I told you. What'd you tell me? Take her to the zoo. Oh, go on, go. I need your help about 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago, you never helped me. You didn't care. Well, if you wanted help, I say, if you wanted help, why didn't you ask? Why didn't you just ask me again? Look, I asked, but you never heard nothing. Nobody's ever gone the distance from Crete. And if I can go that distance, 
saying that bell rings and I'm still standing. That weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Ultimate underdog story, uh, celebrating 45 years this year, came out in 1976. So that's what we're talking about today. Todd is hosting trivia to start us off with our deep dive of this. So Todd, tell us what's what's going on. Uh, Well, I guess since you chose it, we'll start with Zach. Okay, so I will leave. Let me know when I can come back. All right, Zach, we have 12 questions worth 15 points. Not sure how this is going to go. I was kind of struggling for questions. Okay. First question, what does the sign say in the locker room of Mickey's gym? No idea. I feel like I'm not going to get a lot of these questions, seeing as this is probably the first time I've seen this movie in about maybe 10 years. Yeah, same. Uh, It says no kissing. Interesting. Okay. That's that's why I took note of it. (laughs) Uh, How long had Rocky had the locker? Six years. That's correct. I like it. This this feels like I'm at a class and I'm getting a quiz on what my homework (laughs) that I should have read last night because that's when I watched it. But anyway, go on. Uh, Next question. Um, Who who says that? Okay. Oh, uh, Apollo says stay in school because sports make you what two he says two things stupid and weak i don't know it's grunt and smell okay (laughs) apollo creed versus the italian stallion sounds like what according to apollo the american dream i i don't know it sounds like a damn monster movie oh that's right i like that line uh what are the names of rocky's turtles uh cuffs Cuff is right. I can't remember the other one. Frisk or something? Link. Link. That's right. And his fish is Moby Dick. <laughs> is that the next question? No. Okay. The turtles that, were, more, were, more, were more significant to me. Did you see that the turtles are still alive according to IMDb trivia? I did not. That's amazing. Well, turtles live a long time and they looked very small in that movie. But okay, go on. Cuff and yep. Link. Yep. Link. Okay. Uh, what is Rocky's apartment number? 1818. I mean, no. What's the number on his door? Oh, not not the not the address of the apartment. Okay, well, I should get a half point for that. I think. Well, I don't but, know if that, uh, I don't know if that's right. Ain't write it down. <laughs> it's right, I think. Uh, I don't know. Two. It is two. All right, that's how we do it. 
don't Guy see a whole lot of like single digit <laughs> apartment numbers. Well, I, I mean, and the reason why I knew it was 18, is because um, Adrian and Polly live at 1822. And I was like, what the hell are these? Are they neighbors? And of course, there is that moment when Rocky shouts, yo, Polly, she's with me. Yeah. It's strange that they're neighbors. It doesn't seem like they're neighbors, but whatever. We'll talk. We'll talk about that, I guess. Um, how many eggs does Rocky drink? Four? Six. Okay. What is the name of the meat place where Polly works? No clue. Uh, I would have accepted Shamrock Meats, Inc. or Pennsylvania Meat Packing Association. (laughs) Okay. Very specific. (laughs) Uh, Why can't Mac Lee Green fight Creed? Oh, he had an injury uh, like his uh, wrists or something. Yeah, it was an injured hand. Okay. What song does Apollo come into the ring to? That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, It's got to be some super American song, right? Uh, It's not the Star Spangled Banner. I think that's too obvious. Um, I don't. I don't know. I can't think of it. It was uh, the Marines hymn. Did they say that in the movie? Well, no, but I mean, well, it, it, you could have just started singing the song, I guess. That's a tricky How question. To claim the title. I'd be very surprised if Terry got that question, but okay, that was a tough one. Uh, Stallone was the third actor to be nominated for acting and writing in the same year. Who were the first two? Actor to be nominated for directing and writing, you said? No, A- not acting directing. Acting and writing in the acting same Acting and year. writing in the same year. Oh, boy. I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, Laurence Olivier? That's not right. Yeah, I don't know. I give up. Charlie Chaplin for The Great Dictator mm. and Orson Welles. Those make sense. Although, as we saw in Mank, Orson Welles was not the writer of that movie. Could be. And uh, what was the highest grossing Rocky movie? Rocky, uh, well, adjusted for inflation, and does Creed count? Uh, not adjusted for inflation, and Creed does count. Rocky three. It was Rocky four. So you got four points out of... Those are brutal, uh, man. Out of 15. I think I was a 50 to 1 long shot in uh, getting any <laughs> points in that. So I feel I feel good. I went the distance. That's the important thing. You made it to the end of trivia. Yes, that's what you're celebrating. Okay, I'm that's... not celebrating the victory because there was, was no it was, victory. It was kind of a windy. I got my ass kicked. <laughs> Just like well, Rocky. Hmm. All right. Well, let's let's see how this one okay. goes then. Twelve questions for fifteen <clears throat> points, Terry. Okay. Number one, what does the sign say in the locker room of Mickey's gym? <laughs> um. I want to make some memes out of Terry's expressions to these questions because I, <laughs> I mean, they were okay. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, eat lightning, crap thunder. <laughs> that is not right. It says no kissing. <laughs> yeah. Very How nice long song. had Rocky had the locker? Eight years. Six years. Oh, I, I, six or eight was in my head. Okay. Okay, Apollo says, stay in school because sports make you what and what? uh, Sports make you sweat. So stay in school uh, and... um, Because sports make you blank and blank. 
Well, he he has a little catchphrase with it too. Um, because sports make you sweat or smell. That's one. And um, and hurt. It was grunt and smell. Grunt and smell, but then, and they they has some some little saying afterwards. Yeah, so you be a thinker, not a stinker. That's what it was. Uh, yeah. So you got one point from that. Okay, Apollo Creed versus the Italian Stallion sounds like what? Monster movie. Damn monster movie. Uh, what are Rocky's turtles' names? Oh, Cuff and Link. Those are both correct. <laughs> what is Rocky's apartment number? Two. That's correct. You have one trivia. Uh, how many eggs does Rocky drink? Oh, I actually counted as five. Is it five? I, no. Six. Six? <laughs> I thought so I counted, counted that, it, right? Well, I mean, I guess I could have counted it wrong. but I don't know. I might be <laughs> wrong. What is the name of the meat place that Polly works at? Uh, oh, Shamrock Meat wow. Company. Shamrock Meats, Inc., yeah. I would yeah. have also accepted Pennsylvania Meatpacking Association because it says that on the door. But, but it says Shamrock on the back of his uh, his oh, robe. Correct. Right. Uh, why can't Mac Lee Green fight against Creed? He has a severely fractured uh, metacarpal. Fourth metacarpal. Jeez, what the Injured hell? Hand. How do you know that? Because <laughs> I just watched it like two hours ago. <laughs> okay. What song does Apollo come into the ring to? This is the this is the one I said. There's no freaking way Terry's gonna get, but um, it's uh, oh, what it, it's um, you don't have to actually say the title. You can just sing it. it but it, it's um, it's uh, Shores of Tripoli. It's it's the Navy theme song. Da 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 da. Well, they're not Navy. They're Marines. The Marines, Marines. Yeah, there you go. There you go. The Marines him. Yeah. I'll give you credit because you need the song. Nice. Uh, Stallone was the third actor to be nominated for acting and writing in the same year. Who were the first two? Uh, I'm going to say Olivier. That's what yeah. I said. He didn't get it for Hamlet? I don't know that he wrote. Well, I, well maybe it was just like a... It might not have been any adaptation to it. Okay, well, or, let me get... Okay. Let me get one more guess then. Um, like they're act- super obvious ones. Acting and right. Ra- oh, Orson Welles. Orson Welles is correct. What's the other? Uh, Charlie Chaplin. So, oh, Great Dictator. Okay. And what is the highest-grossing Rocky movie? Creed. It was Rocky Four. Oh, it was wow. So- Nine to four, Terry is the champion. Fractured metacarpal. Was that right? That was the fourth metacarpal? I don't know. I didn't write it down. I wrote that he injured his hand. (laughs) He broke a finger. Broke his hand. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Terry knows this movie a lot better than Zach, apparently. Well, I was looking at him like, okay, this is going to be something that's going to be... That could be a trivia... I thought the trivia question was going to be, who is he supposed to fight? So I was paying attention every time they said his name to make sure I had it. I thought you were going to ask what Rocky's record was. 44 and 20 with 38 knockouts. I was prepared for that answer. That's a good one, too. It's a great record, by the way. 
I mean, the other has that kind of record. The other question I thought he was going to ask was, um, how many, uh, how many insulting, uh, nicknames were thrown at Rocky or what were all of them? Like he's called a bum. He's called a creepo. He's called a meathead. I, I, I was prepared with a few of those. There's a couple others. I don't remember, but yeah, I could have gone with that. I had trouble coming up with questions. So. Those are good ones. Those were good ones. No kissing, apparently. Yeah, that's why, that's why I wrote it down. I was like, that is a really ironic sign. To, it's like the only thing in that locker room, too. <laughs> I mean, this movie is a, you know, it, it's a two-hour advertisement for abstinence during training, right? Weaken the legs. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Rocky. Uh, I'll describe it here. If you haven't seen Rocky first, what if you haven't is seen Rocky? Rocky? Tell why us. are you even listening to this? Uh, but Rocky, like I said at the start, it's it's the ultimate underdog story of a small time boxer from Philadelphia who, out of random circumstance, gets a shot at the heavyweight crown and facing the greatest fighter of of the time in Apollo Creed. And. Uh, and through all this, you see you see Rocky training and uh, and kind of working through some personal stuff in his life, uh, dealing with uh, his girlfriend, his girlfriend's brother, and uh, ultimately just wanting to see if he can make it to the end of the fight. And and of course he does. And even though he loses the fight, he comes out of it feeling victorious. It's such a great movie. It's such an uplifting movie. And uh, and written and written and starring Sylvester Stallone. And I, we may talk about a little bit later how much he had to fight just to be the star of this movie, because a lot all Hollywood wanted to make it. But they wanted to make it with a superstar and they wanted it to be like Burt Reynolds or something like that. And he fought to make it him. And uh, and I think he makes it. I don't know if there is another actor more synonymous with a single character than Sylvester Stallone and Rocky. And I mean, maybe you could say Sylvester Stallone and Rambo would be second, but uh, it's, um, it's such a, it's such an iconic movie, an iconic role, an iconic performance. And, uh, and it's, it's an all time great. Like you look at 1976 they talk about how great of a year that was. And we've talked about it before. We've done a deep dive of Taxi Driver. I'm sure at some point we're going to deep dive Network. Uh, you also have all the President's Men. But Rocky's the one that comes out of that with the best picture win. And a lot of people look at that and say, how the hell does Rocky win? And then you watch Rocky again and go, oh, oh, that's that's right. That's why. Because it's just a great movie. It's it's just it's just so good, and it just shows how strong that year was. Uh, how about uh, Zach? What what are what what are your uh, your reactions to Rocky? And uh, looking back on it, I don't know how many times you've seen it or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge Rocky fan. I didn't really grow up with it. Like I was telling Todd and trivia, I, this was the first time I I rewatched it. Probably about ten years. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy the movie for what it's worth. Uh, interesting points that you were saying about the Oscars that year. My theory is that basically by 1976, the Hollywood establishment was a little tired of the anti-hero. Okay. We already had it in R.P. McMurphy. We already have it in Serpico. We already had it in Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, we want the, you could even say the Godfather. Uh, the, sure. The Godfather. Yeah. Popeye Doyle. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Every- Hopper. 
I had Jack Nicholson. Yeah, we don't we don't want that anymore. We want the good, pure-hearted guy who's uh, he's he has a heart of gold, right? And actually, that's one of my flaws with this movie is just how obsessed with they are with showing Rocky as just a good guy. He's a great guy, but uh, I will say in the movies, the, for the, the defense of the movie is that um, it, it it's a boxing movie, but it is so much more of a character study. I mean, watching mm-hmm. it again, it's like there's very few fight sequences in the movie. There's not even a lot of training sequences. I actually wrote down that. Apollo Creed does not make the offer, uh, or Mr. Jurgens uh, does not uh, meet with Rocky until 55 minutes into the movie. Now, some people today might say that that's, you know, those sequences at the beginning, maybe they run a little long. In a modern movie with a more modern sensibility, they would have probably had Rocky get that offer in the first 30 minutes to kind of move things along. But I think it reiterates that this movie's emphasis is not whether Rocky wins the fight, but Rocky as a character and I guess he's a pretty interesting character. I don't know. I also watched watching this movie again. I I, I mean I, I thought of two movies the entire freaking movie. Two other Best Picture winners, which were On the Waterfront and Marty. This is this is a, a combination of On the Waterfront meets Marty, uh, and uh, a little bit of uh, of Raging Bull thrown in there, except it with the Polly character. Did you screw my sister? Um, but anyway, it's uh, it's it, obviously it's a classic. It's it's the be- by far the best one in in the in the franchise. Uh, I like Creed. I've not seen Creed two, but it's an iconic role. It's the role that will forever associate with with Sylvester Stallone. And I do kind of like the idea of a small budget one million dollar movie that was made for for nothing with all virtual no name cast uh, winning uh, best picture at some point, even if it beat uh, arguably more deserving nominees. I mean, yeah, it, it was kind of the underdog movie in the same in the same sense. The underdog movie, the feel good movie. And let's that... be honest, without Rocky, there is no poster of Rocky in Dirk Diggler's bedroom. That's the best justification for its existence. Eddie, best, Eddie, Eddie I don't from, know, but Eddie from Torrance, excuse me. He wasn't Eddie <laughs> Adams from Torrance. He wasn't Dirk Diggler yet. Uh, but yeah, no, I was gonna say it. Sorry. It, it was that. Uh, it's one of those movies that is impossible to hate. Like you can't watch Rocky and come out of that and saying that movie was such garbage. If you're on being honest with yourself as you watch it, it, it is. And, and in that sense, I think it's a perfect movie that could have won in the modern uh, Oscar scenario too, because it is the universally liked, maybe not loved, but universally liked movie. And that, and with the preferential ballot, that's what wins now is a movie that nobody has anything bad to say about. Todd, how about you? Well, yeah, like the, this was the number one at the box office in 1976. I mean, that that's how popular the movie was. And, uh, but I mean, I, I, I love the movie, obviously. I, I grew up watching it a lot. I haven't seen it all the way through necessarily that much. Like the beginning scenes, I'm, I wasn't, I don't really remember very well. Like I always end up catching it maybe like 10, 15 minutes in or something. But yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's a great movie. Obviously, though, it, I think it's like Fast and the Furious. It's propped up because the sequels kind of got bad. So we, uh, the first one looks so much better. And I, I do. I mean, I think it's. A, I think it's a great movie and one of the best boxing movies ever. And yeah, I mean, Stallone was born to play that role. And uh, I, it, it really is impossible to think about Stallone without thinking of Rocky. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that this makes two. Two uh, deep dives in a row where we're deep diving the first in what has become an iconic franchise and and two franchises that maybe have gone on longer than they needed to. 
I think you could definitely argue that about Rocky, especially the the original Rocky franchise, and then you've had the spinoff into Creed. Um, so I I found I find that interesting, and um, there's something else I was going to say with that, but it's gone. Well, can we talk a little bit about the Oscars? Yeah, and like we can talk about the 1976 Oscars in a second. But here's what I really this this was the more interesting point to me. Sylvester Stallone not winning in 2015. What mm. what the hell? Mark Rylance? Is any does anybody remember Mark Rylance in that movie? I mean, I almost had to look it up. I didn't have to look it up because, you know, or I'm on this podcast. But I, I would imagine most people would have to look that shit up. And I feel like that's a, you know, uh, how green was my valley over Citizen Kane type thing. I mean, what were they really thinking? Well, and I love I love that moment. I, I remember that moment and Todd and I always, always joke about that moment because they said Mark and Mark Rylance and Mark Ruffalo were both nominated that year. So it was which Mark was going to win and end up being Rylance, which nobody saw coming, but I agree. I, it, it was an iconic character. It was a Hollywood legend and you could, honestly say that his turn in creed might have been his best performance definitely his best performance since the original and yeah i agree he should have won he should have won well i yeah i mean what and actually looking back on it mark ruffalo was not great in spotlight i I feel like i would have given the role to the the oscar to sylvester stallone but you know, in 1976, I mean, that's a loaded loaded year. Obviously, we, we've talked about this. I think it wins because, like I said earlier, Hollywood uh, wants to embrace the, the nice guy. Like Todd says, it's number one at the box office. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like uh, in a way, maybe the Oscars, uh, the, 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 the voters didn't love the idea of a movie about television winning. They didn't love the idea about a movie about a homicidal sociopath winning. Um, and, uh, maybe Nixon was just a little too, too soon. Right. So I don't know. Uh, it, it kind of makes sense. And in a way it's probably uh, other than the Godfather, the most popular seventies movie that won best picture, right? It's, it's quite possible. Well, and I feel like one of the things I noticed while watching this too, I noticed what you said about how it was the, uh, this, this movie, this boxing movie that has very little boxing in it. Like you have like a like a five minute sequence to start the movie and then there's some training stuff and the actual fight is maybe the last 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And that's it. And the rest is all character study. So I thought that was really fascinating, too. Um, and I think it also was the perfect movie at the perfect time because you are that this is a very, a very American movie as it's talking about telling a very American story. And here, here they were in 1976, the bicentennial of the country. And you are going to name a best picture that was celebrating the bicentennial during that, during the movie. So you have an American movie, an American story. um, And it talking about how it's telling an American story during a very patriotic year in our history, celebrating an anniversary like that, it felt like a perfect storm. Another thing I thought it was interesting. So you, you mentioned the, the only, there was very little boxing in this and it was that character study. The other thing that I thought was really interesting and another iconic piece of this 
is the famous Rocky steps on the Philadelphia uh, oh, Museum yeah. of Modern Art. There's only two scenes, two very, very short scenes that take place there. And it became this icon of the movie. But like, I'm going to be, I, I take kids every couple of years to go to Philadelphia as, as a part of, as a part of the school. And one of the things we have to do in Philadelphia is run up the Rocky steps because that's one of the iconic things you do in Philadelphia. You see independence hall, you get a cheesesteak, you run up the Rocky steps. That's what you do. And yet the amount of time that they're on screen is what? Maybe 30 seconds, a minute across two different scenes. And that's it. And it, yet it became this, this icon of, of overcoming adversity and achieving what, um, what great goals, if you set your mind to it. Yeah. And, and what I like what you said, Terry, I mean, this is also something that works in its favor is this is the quintessential Philadelphia movie. You know, when you think Philadelphia, you think this movie, not invincible, not the garbage kicking field goal kicker bullshit. You think Rocky. Right. And I that's, I think, part of its um, iconicity is that, you know, not a lot great of word, not a lot of other great Philadelphia movies. I also have an interesting theory about that. So I have to ask, was it that? grueling jogging up those steps because he looks so winded the first time he jogs up those he ran steps all the way across town yeah that's the only thing i can think of is it's like the end of a five mile jog but no it's not that grueling i mean there are a lot of steps, grueling but it's not that grueling they're like small steps they're not like major or anything i don't yeah, know it's it's not that it's not that hard it really isn't but i, I mean the question to like finish your the... workout i can i can see it why is he jogging? That was another question I had. He's not, you know, he's not trying to lose weight, right? Like, he's a heavyweight, so why would you jog? I feel like that would make you lose, that would make you burn calories. I don't know. I'm not a boxer, so I don't know these things, but I feel like he should just stay in the meat, with the, with, in the meat uh, section and not be jogging. However, it does make for some of the most riveting footage in the movie. Like when he's running and with that boat in the background, I mean, that's a great moment in the movie. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll get into this, but like the last half hour of this movie is fantastic the first hour and a half okay it needs to speed up a little bit but the training sequences and the music and the way that they have that montage and of course this was one of the first movies that really originated the idea of the training montage i think still holds up really well well and i mean it reminds me a little bit in what you just said there it kind of reminds me of when we did a deep dive of it's a wonderful life in that when you think of it's a wonderful life you think of the last half hour of the movie when you think of Rocky, you think of the last half hour of the yeah, movie and you almost forget that the first hour and a half exists. Um, and you say the first hour and a half drags along, but I think the first hour and a half is fascinating because these characters are so rich and it's such a great character study that uh, that you get to see all these characters interact so that the last half hour matters. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, again, it's more of a character study than it is a sports movie. And, you know, if this I, I, certainly in comparison to how bloated the Rocky sequels were, the fact that this is so low key and centralized with the character and their inter interactions um, makes this movie, I think, much more poignant and, uh, you know, d deserving of the Oscar. Yeah, I'll also say I love the look of this movie. And especially when you get to like the fighting scenes, I feel like once again, this was a perfect movie for a perfect time in that you get to those fighting scenes and you have just kind of this dark ring 
and you're seeing these and all you can see is these two guys fighting where you get to more modern movies, whether you're talking about like Rocky Balboa or you're talking about like warrior or something like that. There is so much like glitz and glam and just oversaturation of light on these rings. Now, when you watch these fights that um, it, it takes away from the intimacy of the moment of when you're watching Rocky and Apollo fight. And that was one thing that really stood out to me here is, is just thinking about any other fighting movie of the last 10 years, you lose that vibe because of just how fights are done now. Well, yeah, and like that probably was out of necessity, right? Because they didn't have enough extras to fill up that uh, that, that, that stadium. So they had to <laughs> keep the lighting kind of low. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, uh, I, I mentioned we were going to try and do a... Uh, a ranking of all the Rockies here, at least all the ones that we've seen. Um, and I, Todd, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, kind of give us uh, your rundown of, of how you would rate the Rocky films. Uh, well, I've seen all of them. Uh, Rocky is, of course, the best one. I think it's borderline top 100 movie for me. Uh, number two is Creed. I, I think Creed's a fantastic movie. And... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was a, it was unexpected how good it was. Similarly to my number three, Rocky Balboa, I think I think that that is that wow. was a movie that really surprised me how good it was. Uh, and then after that, they're all kind of like thumbs down ish movies. Rocky two, I put next. I mean, it, it's a it's a rousing movie. It has probably the coolest end fight, but um, I don't think it's all that great of a movie necessarily. It's very copycat ish. Rocky four is next. Uh, I mean, it's a I mean, it's completely ridiculous, but I mean, it is a lot of fun to watch and, and probably the most American movie ever. Uh, Creed 2, I don't really remember much about it. I know I didn't like it, though, is next. Uh, Rocky 3, uh, another just kind of ridiculous movie. I mean, Mr. T. I mean, it was a good idea, but I mean, hey. in respect. Yeah, <laughs> probably yeah, one of the more quotable ones, I guess. And uh, Rocky 5 is a, an absolute disaster. All right. Zach, how many have you seen? Uh, I've seen a grand total of two Rocky movies. So when I did my ranking, um, <laughs> and one of them was Creed, which, you know, it's debatable if, if, if it's a true Rocky movie or not. So uh, when I did my power rankings, I was doing it purely off of the posters on IMDb. So I went in the <laughs> order of, um, Rocky Three is the best poster. I mean, it's got like the lettering that's kind of like duplicated. I think it looks really badass. It looks awesome. So I went Rocky Three number one, Rocky Two, two Rocky Four, three. Uh, the original Rocky four and Rocky five is the last one. All right. All right. So I've seen all of them except Creed two, which according to Todd sounds like it may not be that memorable of a movie. Uh, so I go, yeah. Number one is Rocky. Number two is Creed. Uh, number three is Rocky four and number four is Rocky three. These are probably the most nostalgic movies for me. I think I watched Rocky three and four before I watched one and two. And so like, I remember as a kid watching Rocky three and Rocky four and, and just the, the training montage of, of watching Ivan Drago get shot up with steroids and running on this like controlled track. And then you see, you see Rocky out in the, out in the snow and lifting logs and getting chased by a car. I mean, it, it's just, it's just awesome. And it's, it's totally over the top 
and beautiful in its over the topness. And then Rocky Three. I mean, uh, that that song from Rocky Three, Eye of the Tiger. I mean, you gotta love, you gotta love Rocky Three and everything that that brings. With whether it's Mr. T playing Clubber Lang or or Hulk Hogan playing Thunderlips, uh, and that's when you actually have put into the movie the unveiling of the Rocky statue that actually went up at the Philadelphia Museum oh, wow. of Modern Art. And that's a part of that movie. So you have that. Um, I've got number five. I've got Rocky Balboa, which is a great movie. I really love, but in some ways it's just an old man retelling of the first Rocky. Uh, then you have uh, Rocky two. I really felt bad rating it that low because it is such an outstanding movie. And it's it's the sequel we didn't know we we needed, but then we totally wanted once we watched it. And of course, Rocky Five is a disaster, um, where you get PTSD Rocky fighting uh, fighting Tommy Morrison, but he's not Tommy Morrison in it. What's it, what's his name Tommy in it? Tommy Gun. Tommy Gun. Yeah. It, yeah. And then you and then you have a street fight to end it, and a teenaged son, and it, it's it's kind of it's a mess. It just is a mess. Kind of a consensus mess. That was it. Was not John G. Alvinson his only other one that he did? Ooh, I think it was. It might be, and I think Rocky directed, or not Rocky. Gosh, Sylvester Stallone <laughs> two, three, directed four. some of these too. Let me see here. John G. directed Rocky and Rocky Five, and that's it. I think Stallone directed the rest of them. Did he? I know he directed three. Uh, and I think he directed Rocky Balboa. Director. He directed two, three, four, Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Yep. There you go. He also, well, directed, them all. He also directed Joe, which is a very good movie and highly underrated 70s cult classic. Also directed The Karate Kid. That's Avildsen, true too. Not Stallone. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Abbott, yeah. <laughs> now if Stallone had directed Joe, maybe you would have liked it more. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if Stallone had played Joe, that would have been interesting. All right, let's do let's do some recasting with this. And this is kind of an interesting uh, an interesting activity here of recasting our uh, recasting Rocky. So let's start with uh, let's start with Rocky himself, uh, originally brought to us by the writer of this Sylvester Stallone, and I'm going to go first on this. I really like my pick. I'm going Aaron Taylor Johnson. Would would be Rocky, because he also strikes me as one that could write a movie someday. Like I I could see at some point, uh, written by and starring Aaron Taylor Johnson being on a on a on a billboard. So. Uh, so that's who I'm going with as my Rocky. Zach, how about you? Uh, really tough to recast. You know, the first instinct would be to go with someone like John Cena, but obviously John Cena's already built up. So you got to go with someone who's a little bit more realistic looking, uh, but someone who, you know, could conceivably be a boxer. Uh, maybe not a great one. I not a lot of great options. Um, I mean, there were stuff like Jake Gyllenhaal, but you know, that's not, that's kind of boring. So I went he's with more a boxer too. and he's done it. Yeah. yeah. He's done it. It's not interesting. I went with Adam driver because I mean, look, I, I don't know if he could really get the, the mannerisms, right. I don't know if he's really an every man. 
I would see it though, you know, and that's how I judge my recastings. If I would get a ticket to it, I would get a ticket to Adam Driver recast as Rocky. He's way too old. Like, I mean, he's not. This isn't the fighter. He's not. He's not. He's not, not that old. It. I think what late thirties, maybe. I mean, yeah, that's that's way too old to be a boxer, unless you're talking about the fighter. Yeah, I, Stallone okay, was thirty in this, by the way. That that was kind of an interesting thing. Let's hear your pick, Todd. Well, mine's probably too young, though. I I said Ty Sheridan. I thought. I, uh, I, yeah. I, yeah. I think he's a really good actor, and he he kind of has the face that he sort of looks like a boxer. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking Miles Teller, but he's already played a boxer. Already done it. And and but Miles Teller and Ty Sheridan kind of look alike a little bit, so I could see that. I thought about Emery Cohen because he played an Italian in Brooklyn. Um, is that a better pick, Todd? Sure. Okay, no. Emery Cohen. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Now we have Adrian, brought to us by Talia Shire, uh, who had already done the Godfather movies at this point. So she she had her name out there. She was a Coppola, which also gave her uh, gave her some notoriety. Uh, so I went with someone who's already had her name out there a little bit, maybe looking for a little bit of a comeback. I went with Shailene Woodley. That's what I did too. Whoa! Wow. I could totally see it. I think it would work. Well, yeah, the super shy, awkward kind of. I mean, yeah, she does that all the time. Well, what, about, what about Aaron Rodgers as Rocky? I mean, he wants <laughs> he, he 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 is comfortable in front of the camera. So, you know, uh, good chemistry with Shailene, I'm sure. In between his Jeopardy shoots. There you go. There you go. In between Jeopardy shoots and demanding trades, he could uh, he could play Rocky Balboa. Uh, maybe he just pulls a Jim Brown and retires from football to make movies now. There you go. And smoke weed. There you go. With Zach, Shailene. who do you have? Uh, I went with uh, one of Todd's uh, favorite actresses, Rooney Mara. Uh, mostly because uh, Adrian is, of course, an introvert, and she has a you know she barely speaks in the first hour of this movie. And there is a great YouTube clip that I actually spent 25 minutes watching called "25 Minutes of Rooney Mara Being an Introvert," and it is her <laughs> in interviews uh, being really like not comfortable talking, and she talks about how she doesn't like to go to parties. And she likes to just kind of stay at home because parties are way too loud. And um, I, I also got her sign on uh, the uh, uh, Enneagram, which is a sign uh, number five, which is also an introverted type. So I don't know why I'm talking, but she would make a good uh, introverted character. I mean, I get it, but yeah. <laughs> I would have more thought Kate Mara, but I mean. Watch Ooh, the clip on YouTube. It's pretty good. Pretty uncomfortable. I can see as well. Yeah, that's that's not bad either. All right, let's move on. We're gonna go to Polly next, played by Burt Young, who somehow was only thirty six years old in this cool. movie. Like yeah, Burt Young was as old as I currently am <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you gotta go. You, you gotta go with someone who could who could pull off this type of character, and no one does it quite like Ben Foster. So uh, uh, that's who I went pick. with. That's a good pick. And I could I could see Shailene Woodley being like the kid sister of Ben Foster. It, yeah. Talia Shy and Burt Young do not look alike. <laughs> <laughs> Don't at all. <laughs> all right, Zach. That's a I that's better than my pick. I, I would go with I went with Haley Joel Osment because of the Philadelphia connection, but I I like your pick better. Although I think Haley Joel could could pull it off. He has the 
girth for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Ben Foster is one that would put on a hundred pounds to play. Ben Foster's Pauling. old though. Like Todd gives me shit for these old picks. Ben Foster's got to be in his he's 40s 40. Point, he's 40. Right? He's 40. Although, as you said, Polly looks like he's probably about 50 or 60. So yeah. yeah. I think the first time I watched it, I thought that it was probably <laughs> her father or something. <laughs> All right, Todd. Uh, I I just said Jonah Hill. I mean, he doesn't play drunks enough. Like he probably shouldn't do that more. And I think I, I that'd be awesome to watch him try to <laughs> do a role like that. Yeah, that would totally be his third Oscar nomination. Yeah. All right, Apollo Creed, brought to us by Carl Weathers. And so as I was thinking about this, the one thing I couldn't get out of my head is Carl Weathers was a former uh, football player. Like he played in the NFL. And so I was thinking what former NFL player would have the personality to pull off Apollo Creed. And I kept on trying to think of guys, but one name kept on popping up in my head and I couldn't shake it. So Apollo Creed would be Terrell Owens. He's a little old, old for it. He is old. He is I know, old. I think, I think but he Carl looks Weathers is like 28 or something. Yeah, he was like 28 in this, which is insane. He looks old though. Yeah, so I like I was thinking like what if you went with like Nate Burleson, but that would just feel awkward. What if you went with like Mark Ingram? Uh that that I don't know if that would necessarily work, but TO, he doesn't look old. Like he's like 42 or something, but he looks like he could still be 32 and pull it off pretty easily. He's still ripped. He he could. He, and he and he has like I could totally see him pull off everything that Apollo does, and that's what I kept on going back to. And, and any other one I thought of couldn't couldn't do it quite like To. I would have more thought like Richard Sherman or something. Yeah, I, that was one I thought about too. One. I thought about Sherman as well, but but To has has that attitude of that magnetism, yet you kind of hate him at the same time. I don't know. It just felt right. Maybe Sherm's a better pick, but that's why I went with Zach. Yeah, like maybe Brandon Merriweather. He's a good one too. Um, <laughs> but I would go with. I, I originally had written down Daniel Kaluuya, but uh, I like your idea more, Terry. Although I just I would need to think of the player. But if we're talking actors, Daniel Kaluuya could, I think, do a pretty fantastic job of it. I was thinking, what about like Cam Newton? Like that would be an interesting one. He'd would he wear? Would he wear the hat and the glasses though? That I I feel like that would diminish <laughs> a little bit Apollo Creed's toughness, but you never know. Never know. Camden right, looks like a geek. He doesn't look very imposing, but okay. Except the fact that he's six five two fifty. Yeah, similar to Zach. I, I like Terry's option more. I just said uh, should make more. Who's the lead in Dope? I mean, yeah. I. I think he he needs this kind of role. I mean, I, he should be a bigger star than he is, and uh, yeah, you know, this that'd be a fun role. All right, now to the, I, I mean, you can't even say most iconic because every character in this is iconic. Mickey, portrayed by Burgess Meredith, who yeah is incredible. I went with uh, Chris Cooper. That just that grizzled yes. old man training, training him, teaching him how to box. I could, I could see it. I could see it happen. I thought you were gonna go with like Danny DeVito and like another penguin. <laughs> I yeah. Well, I mean, you yeah. could have gone that way. Someone else that has portrayed the penguin. <laughs> 
Uh, I went, so I have a story a little bit. I, I went with Christopher Plummer, but then I forgot that he died. So I said Christopher Plummer, but he would be replaced by Kevin Spacey. But then I thought that's not funny. So I decided to go with uh, Bob Wells from Nomadland. <laughs> not from the Yankees. No, Bob Wells from Nomadland because, you know, he's old. He he's he is okay in front of cameras. He would probably think like uh, you know uh, Adam Driver was was really rocky, like not an actor. Like he thought Francis McDormand was really Fern, um, but okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I, Burgess Meredith looks and sounds ancient, but he was only he was obviously under seventy because Terry had to do his little loophole thing for over. Was 70. he younger than Burt Young? Is the real question. <laughs> I don't know. I looked it up. Burgess Meredith was 60 years old in this, yet he says he's 75. He wasn't 60 because then you couldn't use Rocky too in our power oh, rankings. Oh, hold on. Let me look this up again. Maybe it was 67. He was born in 1907. He was 69. He was 69. Appropriate for Burgess Meredith. <laughs> as we'll talk about. Uh, well, my Mickey. <laughs> I went with John Voight because mainly because he owns. Is John Voight alive? <laughs> is he alive? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. John Voight is alive. He 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 owns his boxing gym in Ray Donovan, and I I think he actually should be a ring man. John Voight has made stuff in the last twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I Ray, didn't know Ray that. Ray Donovan. He was nominated for a bunch of Emmys for it and stuff. I didn't know. That. Okay. Interesting. He's also been in a boxing movie before. He was nominated for an Oscar for being Howard Cosell and Ali. Well, that was 20 years ago, though. It was, that was 20 I years ago. I can't think of anything recent. But, okay, I haven't seen Ray Donovan, so I'll, I'll take your word for it, Todd. It's a really good show, or it was a good show. It's okay. All right. Uh, that's all I have. Uh, Todd, I think you have one more. Uh, well, yeah, Duke. I, I said Terry Crews because he looks just like him. <laughs> oh, that's a good call. Yeah. That's a good call. Uh, who would Nicolas Cage play? Mr. Gazzo. Oh, that's a good call. I said he would play for look like a pimp in that. Yeah. Yeah. I said he would play the fight promoter. Oh, Mr. Jurgens. Yeah, I wrote down Jurgens. I think. Yeah, Jurgens and Gazzo were the two I wrote down. Well, I'm glad we agree. That that's rare. That's rare that we agree on something. All right. Highest war performance. Zach. Okay, I, I think I'm going to go with uh, Burgess Meredith as Mickey. Uh, why not just talk about right now? Burgess Meredith's also the biggest stick man in this movie because he was a stick man in real life. And uh, yeah, there's not much more to it. He's awesome in this movie. He doesn't have very many scenes. I thought he was in this movie more than he actually was. He's only in like maybe three or four scenes in this movie, but he kind of kills it. And he doesn't even really try that hard. It seems really seamless. Like his delivery is very like low key. It's not like Mickey Rooney kind of over the topness. Um, it's not even like Chris. It's not even like Clint Eastwood, a million dollar baby, which is another movie that you can't help but think about watching this. Uh, he's just under control. You can tell the guy has had a lot of life experience and it's hard to think of another actor in that role. So I think it's sort of the obvious uh, highest war performance. Yeah, I thought there were a lot of options here. I had Burgess Meredith written down as well. And, and you're right. You think he's in more of this movie. Um, he steals yet, every scene he's in. He, he Absolutely, he does. And uh, and yeah, he is the inspiration for the Stickman Award. And I, I 
would also argue he potentially could be the douchebag of the movie as well. Uh, because he kind of writes Rocky off, and as soon as Rocky has an opportunity, he comes back to him. Now, but I, he's upfront I, about it. He doesn't make any bones about it. Like that's oh, yeah. what I like about that speech. Like he he's not he's not, pull, he's not you know <laughs> bullshitting him. Like he knows he knows he's a has been as well. Like that scene is a really we'll talk about best scenes, but that scene was a strikingly poignant scene that I think in a lesser movie would have just been you know much more heavy handed and much more silly. But that's like a great great scene in the movie. And that's yeah. great. That, that's Stallone's best moment of acting, too. It's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I, Burgess Merritt is, is who I had written down, but I, I think there's several you could go with here. Todd, how about you? Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's Stallone and Meredith. and mm-hmm. uh, But, I mean, I also would say Carl Weathers is because that, I don't know, yeah. like that booming voice and that mustache makes him just so... Like that, that character seems so. I like. I don't know if it's necessarily iconic, but it it seems so perfect for that role. I don't know. Like, Carl, I think Carl Weathers is great in this movie, but yeah, Stallone and Meredith are the two. But Carl Weathers is great, but the fact that he's basing his performance on Muhammad Ali makes me think that it can't really be a high war performance if it's based on someone else who probably would have played the role equally, if not better. Yeah, you you definitely get the get the vibe that this is that he was trying to be Ali here. I think that especially came, came through when uh, you had the interaction with him and Joe Frazier in the ring. I was like that. That's how Muhammad Ali would have reacted to, <laughs> to Joe Frazier being be in the ring. What? I think they might be friends. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like a giant flag. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, again, talking best scene. I, I think you, Rocky's reactions to everything that Apollo does before the, the before the fight might be might be up there. Uh, what is the worst performance, Todd? Uh, Pedro Lovell as Spider Rico. I was looking. I I don't think that he actually was in like much of anything else until he put him in Rocky Balboa. Like, <laughs> um, but I I don't know. He he's bad. He he's not, he doesn't look like a boxer either. And I don't know. It, did that? I don't know why he was cast. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. Um, Zach, who do you have? Uh, for me, this was clear. Uh, but there was only two credits: <laughs> Rocky and Rocky Balboa. <laughs> it's interesting. It comes back in Rocky Balboa. He's got to be pretty old by that point. But oh yeah, again, he, so, he he so he always gives him a free. Uh, he always gives him a free meal in his restaurant because he's Spider nice. Rico. Nice. Uh, my uh, worst performance is an easy one, and it goes into the flaws in this movie, which is Burt Young as Polly. And again, I, I maybe it's just a combination of the character, but Burt Young as an actor does not help. I don't know how this guy got an Oscar nomination for this movie. It makes no sense. Um, it uh, he's just he doesn't look at all like Adrian. Uh, Terry, one of you to- stole, stole that line. I was going to say they, they look nothing alike. Um, you wonder why Adrian is still living with this guy. Uh, he is like, it's not so much that the characters, ab- I mean, he's abusive, which is unsavory to watch, but like, he's just so unnecessary and he's in so much of this movie. It's like every other scene he's showing up and I get it. He's Rocky's friend, but he's also Adrian's sister. But like, why is he in all these scenes? He's at the meat pack. He's at the meat plant, obviously just less Polly, more Rocky and the movies would be a lot better. So I have to err on uh, the side of blaming Burt Young for at least part of it. Uh, it's not a good performance. It's not a good role. And it's maybe the worst part of the movie <laughs> is that character. At the same time, he's... But I haven't seen the sequels. Maybe he's redeemed it more in the sequels because he's in all the sequels, right? 
Yeah, he is. I don't know. I don't know. Redeemed is a strong word. He becomes but, uh, part of the part of the ring crew, right? Yeah, yeah. He becomes one of the guys that that sits ringside and helps out. You know what he reminded me of was was Maury in uh, Goodfellas. He's like the guy who wants to be part of the gang, but I just wanted to take a telephone and like you know go pull a Jimmy Conway on him and like strangle him. I mean, he's such an annoying character. Of course, Rocky didn't have a phone in his apartment, so you couldn't do that. But you get the point. He's just unnecessary to the plot. I mean, the only reason he's around at all is because he's Adrian's brother. Right, like, and, he, and it's unnecessary only... because Rocky's yeah. already, he knows Adrian regardless of Polly's presence there. All Polly does is just say, can you get me a job with Mr. Gazzo? Like, come on, we, we get that, you know? And it's just, yeah, it's unnecessary. Well, and I don't know if, I don't know if Rocky would have ever gone out with Adrian if he hadn't asked Polly to ask her out for him. Like, that that's how the, the connection was finally made because he showed up and... And Polly never told her about it. Is there a reason he couldn't have just been Adrian's father? Because now you got me thinking, like, yeah, that that would have made a little bit more sense, maybe more a little more realistic. But whatever, bad know. performance, I, bad actor. I agree, but at the same time, I almost considered him for Highest War too, just because he he just looks the part so well of being this this drunken bum that thinks he's something. When deep down he knows he is absolutely useless and worthless, and uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think what does he do at the meatpacking place? Like <laughs> walk through normally, the freezer. <laughs> you don't normally buy your stuff from the freezer. Like, what does he actually do? Yeah, I don't know. Also, don't the, know. the Oscar nomination bugs me. There were so many great supporting actor performances that year that didn't get nominated. Like, I mean, Harvey Keitel and Taxi Driver or like Robert Duvall and Network or I mean, just name your movie. And the fact that he got a nomination is just kind of ridiculous and a loaded stacked year. That's true. That's true. All right. My worst performance is going to be uh, Jody Letizia as Marie, the uh, yeah. the little girl that Rocky pulls from the... Uh, from the group and uh and he you know gives all the life lessons to as he walks her home um i don't know it it just is kind of a throwaway part and of all like why couldn't jody foster play that one too I, that, that been, yeah <laughs> all those would have been better movie was rocky five her only other movie was rocky five scenes deleted it says on mvp <laughs> <laughs> deleted scenes in rocky five that's a that's a Stellar. funny callback to have. Anyways, yep, that's a uh, that's what I'm gonna go with. Okay, uh, amazing Larry, Big Tim, high roller, uh, favorite minor character, and maybe it's because of the sequels, but I've always had a soft spot for uh, Apollo's trainer. He's just billed as Apollo's trainer in this, but I think Todd said his name was Duke, played by Tony Burton. Uh, I he he's such a just a memorable face and a memorable guy in even in this one like he's the one that's like uh apollo you may have to take this guy seriously or i think he's got the line where um where he says he doesn't know this is a show he thinks it's a damn fight (laughs) i he 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 is he's such a memorable face and he his role continues to increase each sequel and um and I, I just I, I just love that character and I love every time he pops up 
And I'm glad that he's one of those that just continues to pop up from uh, from sequel to sequel to sequel. Uh, so that's that's the one I'm going to go with. Todd. Uh, well, I wrote down uh, Jurgens. I, I, I think mm-hmm. I really he, he's a really cool. I mean, the being the, the fight promoter, he's I don't know. Something about him seems old fashioned, but it also seems perfect for that kind of role. And I, I, I really like that character. I also said butt kiss because he's an awesome dog. And did you notice um, in the credits he it is but Bupkis Stallone? Yeah, it's actually it was credited dog. as dog. It was actually Sylvester Stallone's dog. That's pretty if, great. If we were to recast Jurgens, I would recast him as Ed Bagley Jr. I don't yes. think there's any other actor that could play that. <laughs> uh, all right, Zach, who do you have? Uh, I went with uh, Stan Shaw as Dipper. Um, in part because I had a really hard time hearing his name. I wrote down like Thripper. I couldn't. It, it, I, the, well, I had on the third time I got the name Dipper. But uh, according to uh, IMDb trivia, there was a deleted scene when Apollo goes to the gym and Rocky and Dipper actually get into a fight um, as a result of uh, uh, the publicity stunt that uh, that that uh, Apollo is is hosting. But um, and. Uh, also, he appears in the 2002 video game uh, Rocky as the second boxer that Rocky fights. So I'm glad there is an afterlife to this character because he's fascinating. And of course, just judging by the contents of his locker, I think he's someone we need to know more about. That's a great point. That's a great point. On, I, I, I was waiting for that to be a trivia question as well. Who stole or who took Rocky's locker? I mean, favorite. you got to think that he just moved in there relatively quick because i mean you know rocky is used to going to the gym right and all of his shit's right there he was ready to decorate that locker he was like a he was like a, an excited seventh grader on the first day of school getting their locker for the first time and had all of those uh those 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 lust lusty uh you know uh babes on the on the shelf so well, and it was the play for Stickman too it was a day after the fight too so like rocky had just trained for his fight with spider rico he shows up the next day and his locker is gone do you think dipper objected to the no kissing policy at mickey's gym i think he had Probably. a hard time with it that's why the sign's there <laughs> because of dipper yeah dipper is the it. reason the Dipper's sign is the there reason. yeah i like it i like well, it Stan Shaw is also, you don't know this yet, Zach, but he plays the main boxer in Snake Eyes. <laughs> Good to know. All right. Uh, Zach, give us your uh, Spider Stickman and Billy Bat's douchebag. Well, here's the thing. Okay, everybody's expecting us to say Burgess Meredith, but the truth is, that's that's too obvious. What I really want to talk about is Sylvester Stallone's career in pornography. He made The Party at Kitty and Studs, which is a movie that I really want to see. According to IMDb, the plot of it is that Kitty and Stud are lovers. They enjoy a robust sex life, which includes, uh, ooh, I, sh- I have some of these words I probably shouldn't say. Uh, they sometimes engage in light sadomasochism with Stud belt whipping her. And he later posts a sign on the bulletin board inviting people to a party. Several people show up at the apartment and engage in group sex with Stud servicing all the women. I'm going to go with Stud. And actually, uh, this movie was um, retitled uh, The Italian Stallion uh, because uh, <laughs> uh, capitalizing on the success of Rocky. And according to my records on eBay, you can buy this movie now for uh, $25.99 <laughs> on a Region 2 DVD. So uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I don't know if that really answers your question, but I wanted, I really wanted to talk about the, the, the party at Stud and Kitties. I think Criterion needs to pick that up. 
Yes. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. Well, you know, they've put out pornography. I mean, they have the I Am Curious series and the Night Porter and you know, why not? Come on, Criterion. Someone's listening out there. The party at Stud and Kitties. Let's do it. All I'll right. Do the commentary. What about your douchebag? Oh, uh, douchebag. Uh, oh, the, the driver, uh, Gazzo's driver, who uh, insults yeah. Adrian. And yeah, it's I couldn't ter- figure terrible. out what his name actually was. He has a name. Yeah, they say his name somewhere. I can't remember though. It's not worth remembering though. No, it's not. Uh, move that, on. that was that yeah. was my that was my douchebag as well. Looked like someone ran over his face. I mean, yeah, that was the first one I wrote down. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I I had I had Gazzo's driver as as my douchebag as well. Um, I mean, yeah. The uh, the Stickman Award what is in honor of Burgess Meredith, but not in honor of Mickey. So yeah. I don't know if this necessarily qualifies. I I cannot see Mickey as a douchebag or as a as a stickman. Uh, well, he but used to I'm be a fighter. So I mean, back in his day, in his bantamweight day. Um, I'm going with I'm going with Apollo Creed, uh, simply because we know. He had uh, he had illegitimate uh, dealings with uh, women, hence the need for uh, the Creed movies and Michael B. Jordan's character. So, um, mm-hmm. so uh, the the one we know for sure has had that is Apollo Creed. So uh, he's my he's my stick man. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm looking at more shit about the porn. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> The party at Stud and Kitty. Sorry. Okay, I'll show. Go ahead, Todd. Uh, Todd, <laughs> go ahead. What are uh, your answers to these questions? Biggest stick man, biggest douchebag. I said stick man was Gazzo. It's just speculation, and he looks like a pimp. And my biggest douchebag, I also wrote Gazzo's driver and the ice rink attendant. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. It was nowhere near 10 minutes. Like, the last, yeah. mi- the last like, five minutes was, like, 30 seconds. And that's an unbroken shot too. Like it was. I mean, it's like clearly he was just screwing them. And and how does he not, you know, not allow him to to barter a little bit? I know. Yeah, he didn't come off his ten dollar price. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. Can we talk about Gazo for a second and how unrealistic of a pimp or mob boss he is? I mean, he gives. I've never met a mob boss who's so willing to give out money to one of his hitmen. I mean, he's like, here, here here's fifty dollars. Here's five hundred dollars for your training. Like. I mean, and, and he's like, oh, it's okay that you didn't really punch him. Eh, no, no big deal, you know? Like, Gazo is like, if we're talking about this movie is, you know, uh, basically just jacking off to how wonderful Rocky is of a human being, really, Gazo's the second most wonderful person in this movie. I just want to find out, you, okay, so you, you've met mob bosses? <clears throat> I, that is confidential information. I am married to uh, an Italian, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, th- this is true. We had a whole conspiracy theory about about your entire um, in law family. Oh, you when, were at the uh, wedding. We it, was the like, wedding. it was like the Corleone wedding. It was like Talia. She totally was like Talia was. Shire, and I was like the guy. We 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 Donnie we cast we cast the entire Godfather movie with your in laws. I don't know if you're aware of this, but at your wedding, we <laughs> wow. cast the entire Godfather movie with your in laws. Wow. All right. Um, we are now to best scene. Best scene in the movie. Todd, you're first. Uh, there are quite a few. Uh, I really like the ice skating scene. And I, I think that is like the best example of Stallone just showing off his charisma as an actor. Like that scene is just fantastic. He's like the whole, he's just jogging with, with her the whole time. Like, and he, he does not stop talking the whole time. And uh, I, I think it's kind of a, kind of a brilliant scene. 
you got to be talented to jog on ice like that too. And then and prevent the one who's skating from falling over multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach, what do you have? Can I also write down a douchebag that I forgot to mention? Sure. Sorry, I I was so intent on writing this down because I that's thought okay. We're all breaking laugh. the rules here. I so. know. <laughs> I, the it, the uh, radio host at four a.m. in the morning who calls up Mrs. Kramer and she's like, "What are you doing calling me at four in the morning? I I'm gonna hang up on you." That guy's a douchebag. Who who calls someone that early in the morning? Anyway, that was a disappointing right. response. I was I was hoping for more laughs out of that. <laughs> anyway, uh, I already said the best scene in the movie, the scene when uh, Mickey uh, comes to Rocky and says, uh, let me be your trainer. Although I think there is a debate about, is Mickey really a trainer or is he a manager? It's not like he does really any training with Rocky. I mean, he's there when Rocky does the one-arm push-ups, but it doesn't really seem like he contributes a whole lot. It's kind of like that Jackie Brown scene where she's like, no, a, a man, I'm a manager. I'm, I'm not a trainer. I'm a manager. And a manager gets 10%. Um, but uh, let bygones be bygones. But it, that's a great scene. Yeah, what point. I love about that scene too is like what, after he's done screaming at him and stuff, he runs him down. And yeah. if you watch it, it looks like Mickey is about like freaked out. Like is he, yeah. he's going to attack me. <laughs> well, it's a lost in translation moment. We never know what they say. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Like that was really nice, uh, subtle direction there by uh, by John G. So shout out to John G. Well, and and depending on how you look at that, I mean, at first it feels like Mickey's being a total douchebag there in writing Rocky off. It's like, oh, but now now it's I'm going to be the opportunist and and go after it. And, and then you realize going through it. No, he's just he's just realizing he has always seen something in Rocky, but but now he actually Rocky has the opportunity to show it and he he wants to be a part of it and uh, and you you know him him taking his locker away was all trying to trying to motivate him it was either going to motivate him or tell him to give up and uh, and either way it was going to be a good thing for Mickey is uh, what he tattoos on himself in memento ooh like john g killed my wife i think, I think you're right <laughs> okay conspiracy theory all right, my my favorite scene is the scene right before the fight, uh, where where Rocky comes back from the from the uh, the arena and he lays down next to next to Adrian and and it's just one uncut take, uh, and he and he's saying I can't beat him, and all I want to do is go the distance. If I go the distance, no one's ever been able to go the distance with Apollo Creed, and if I do that, I I'll, I'll know that I'm not a failure. I know I'll know that I, that I can do this. And it's, it's just him validating. It's like, this is what I need to do to win. And if I, and I remember hearing at one point that Sylvester Stallone had to fight for that scene to stay in the movie. And they got to a point where it was, they were looking at what they were going to have in the movie and they were going to not even film it. And he goes, no, you have to film this scene. This is the entire movie right here in this scene. And I think they got one shot at it, one take. And that's the one take you see is the only take they were able to film of it. And it it's the whole, it's, it's that scene where the whole movie is, he explains everything that's going through his head this entire time. It's kind of like that moment where he says, you know, I said it didn't bother me. It does. It, it, it there are those few rare moments where he's with Adrian, where he actually lets down his guard and says what is actually on his mind. And that scene is one of them. And it's a great bit of acting by Rocky as he is, legitimately freaked out by the concept of what's about what's in front of him. And it, it's just, it's just an awesome moment. Yeah. Good call. Well said. All right. Uh, flaws and conspiracy theories. 
Yeah, because we don't need any more sequels and spin-offs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if the, I'm skipping over if there were a sequel. Because... Well, it would be about Dipper. Dipper would have a sequel there about we go, Dipper's there we go. life. <laughs> maybe if there were another spin-off, maybe that's the question here. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Flaws and conspiracy theories. Anybody? Uh, well, the only thing I wrote down is, which is I've always thought was ridiculous, is in, in after the fight's over, they're like, on hugging each other, and he's like, "Enko, be no rematch," and he's like, "Don't want one." And they're clearly not talking. Like it was just like oh, they yeah. added that track, like way after the fact. I don't know why they they did that. There are but... several moments like that where the like I was even noticing like as Apollo gets in the ring and he's pointing at people, like like his you're hearing him say one thing and his mouth is doing something completely different. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but that one, that one's the most ridiculous because they clearly are not talking. And it's just, and you could tell it sounds like a, like a, a, a added track or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole Rocky seducing, forcing himself on Adrian scene, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just cut that scene out, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the movie tries really freaking hard to make uh, Talia Shire ugly. You know, she's got the hat. She's got the glasses. She's an ugly, uh, ugly duckling. Let's try a little bit less, okay? It seems a little, that seems a little forced and obvious. I also, this wasn't really a flaw. It was more just a kind of a question. I was wondering if you guys had too. Don't you feel like Apollo Creed, instead of being celebrated for this opportunity he's giving this nobody, don't you think he would have received some shit for it? Like, I'm thinking like five years ago when Floyd May Mayweather, do you guys ever watch that interview that he did with Brian Kinney on ESPN? It was a great YouTube clip. But basically, Brian Kinney was giving him shit, just like, you know, Kurt was giving him shit in Boogie Nights. But Brian Kinney was giving him shit for like not fighting up to, you know, who he should have been fighting. He was always picking these guys who were in the lower rung of it. And Floyd Mayweather was like, well, Floyd Mayweather fights. Whoever, the, whoever Floyd Mayweather fights, he, he beats. And I feel like uh, Apollo would have gotten more shit for that, is all I'm saying. Well, and he goes into that in the sequel where <laughs> Rocky's criticized because before fighting, you know, Clover Lang, that, like, yeah, I yeah I haven't lost in, like, three years, but you fought only bums, like... Like the, there's a reason why you're the most popular fighter because you don't lose because you don't fight anybody. And I don't think he necessarily would have been given that much grief for it because I think everybody knew that this was a, a replacement fighter. It was an it was it was something that was going to replace who he was supposed to fight, which was actually going to be a legitimate fight. And it's like, well, we still want to have this moment happen, so let's let's do something very American and give a nobody a shot. So may maybe it wouldn't have have come across as as bad because of that. I'm just saying I don't think that aspect of the movie aged well. Okay. Uh, I did. I honestly I hadn't really thought of any any conspiracy theories or or any moments uh, on there. So let's move on. LVP MVP and wrap this thing up. So uh, I'll go first here. My LVP is Adrian's red hat in the final scene because yes. that thing that thing doesn't stand a chance. Um, and, All and her it, hats. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, well, that thing falls off like like as soon as she enters a crowd. I mean, come on. Uh, and my MVP um, is uh, Bill Conti for writing uh -huh. this iconic score and uh, and that Not iconic nominated. song. Yeah. Not well nominated for the song "Gonna Fly Now," which I think might be. I mean, you 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 consider it the score, but I think 
the the whole dun dun da da dun da da dun da da dun is really the song. So maybe maybe he was just nominated for that. I don't know. But I I mean it's one of the most iconic uh theme songs of any character of all time. And uh and is totally synonymous with the movie as much as any like when you think Rocky, you think dun dun da da dun da da dun da da dun and it's just you can't not. So uh that's my MVP. Todd. Uh, my LVP is Stallone's running posture. That's it's really <laughs> painful to watch him run. Uh, he's yeah, like a, yeah. It's like it's like he's a hunchback or something, and it's really awkward. Either that uh, or his fighting stance. That's pretty brutal yeah. as well. But yeah, both I think have the same problem. And <laughs> uh, the MVP, I, I was I was gonna say Philadelphia because I there's no more. There, yeah, it's the Philadelphia movie. And, Awesome. Awesome. Zach? Yeah, I was going to say like Corey Matthews for my MVP because uh, Rocky was the first great Philadelphian until Corey Matthews came along. But uh, obviously, obviously, actually, my MVP is uh, Diana Lewis as the newswoman, because that sequence uh, introduces really the world to Rocky Balboa. And that is a really well edited sequence. If you watch mm-hmm. like like I, they were using multiple cameras there. I mean, that level of detail in the editing and like all the like, you know, cinemagraphic, like 30 degree rule type shit. I mean, she was like doing a great job with that news package. And I would have given her an A if she was my student. I, I assigned news packages to my high schoolers. And uh, that's impressive for 1976. And I think it's what thrusted Rocky to uh, to national spotlight. Uh, the LVP of the movie uh, 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 let's go with um, uh, let's go with the band uh, or the the group of singers by that fire pit on the name because their 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 music is pretty awful. What Frank Stallone? <laughs> yeah, was that Frank Stallone? Yeah. <laughs> it says he's the timekeeper, but I don't know what that means. Maybe he was the one snapping. Yeah, that not doing a great job keeping the time, but okay. Their music was awful. Well, yeah, and good call on that on that news piece because that was also what made Duke go, uh, yeah, Reed, you well gotta edited. take this guy seriously. <laughs> yeah. All right. Quote of the day time. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, Todd, you're first. Um... Okay, so I'm quoting Polly because it's a stupid quote. He says, I want you out of here instamatically. And I'm pretty sure he made up that word, and that's how I feel about this podcast. <laughs> well done. Well done. Zach? Uh, my quote comes from the IMDb user comments page for the party at Stud and Kitties. <laughs> and uh, it is from the user Arvig, who is the only person to give this movie a 10 out of 10. Um <laughs> I know people might try to debate the first Rocky or perhaps the first Rambo first blood film showing off Stallone's acting talents much better than this small independent film made at the start of his career. But for me, this shows off Stallone's true acting talent, true skills. The subtle nuances he gives the character of Stud truly make the film come alive. The fact that this was his fir- that his first film was a romantic comedy with some slight erotic undertones, although perhaps not as, ero- as erotic as, let's say, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, 
what? Uh, shows what might have been if Stallone hadn't picked a direction like drama with Rocky in action films like the Rambo movies. Believe me, although I suppose both make good popcorn movies, his acting pales in comparison with his work in this film. There's some odd sex scenes that seem to have very little to do with the plot or character development, but this was the freewheeling 70s too, and I'm sure they were willing to put it into heightened the uh, erotic aspects of this film. Again, I find Stopper My Mom Will Shoot a bit more erotic though. So shout out to Arvig. Uh, Arvig, you're welcome on the podcast. I want to kind of like do a psychoanalysis of you a little bit, uh, <laughs> like a Kinsey examination or something. But uh, 10 out of 10 is awesome. It makes me want to get that Region 2 DVD even more. Ay, ay, ay. All right. I don't Stop even. Or my I, mom I don't... will shoot. I, I mean, I... more power to you, man. Whatever gets whatever gets the blood flowing. I, I can't no kissing even... though. I can't even respond to that. Okay, my uh, I've got two quotes here. One of them is uh, is from my Oscar anniversary watch, Murder Murder on a Sunday Morning, and Zach referenced it a little bit, but I wanted to say the full quote here, and it, it is from the the defense attorney, and he's and it's the invest or the the detective walked by him in the parking lot uh, before before he was going to go on the witness stand, and he said, "Ah, sucking down another cancer stick," and he said, "I love a cigarette after sex." It says, and I said it because he knew I was about to screw him. <laughs> and I, first of all, I love that you mentioned that quote, Terry. I butchered it before. <laughs> Let's be clear. It is a very serious movie. Like, it is not a funny movie at all. But that, that is such an awesome moment. such a great moment. Oh, my moment. God. That guy is so freaking awesome. He, he, he totally does, man. too. He wins every award for, for that moment in that movie. He's amazing. But I, and so I, that's a great quote. And I, but I had to end it on a Rocky quote. And this is this is as quintessential Rocky as anything in this movie. Adrian asks him, "Why do you want to fight?" And his response is, "Because I can't sing and dance." And that, yeah. that's as that's as Rocky as you get right there. And so there you go. All right. With that, we're going to draw this but podcast you, you to a close. Can be in pornos. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure you check us out next week as we'll have more stuff. Make sure you check out the sideshow coming out with more Band of Brothers deep dives uh, this week as we continue to work through that series. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Check us out next week. Until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.